Welcome to our Ted Lasso Talk, the Tedcast. Welcome, all Greyhound fans. Welcome, all you sinners from the dog track and all the AFC Richmond fans around the world. It's the Lasso way around these parts with Coach Coach and Boss. Without further ado, Coach Castleton. Okay, welcome back. Uh, We are still tackling Season 2, Episode 5 from the beautiful Ted Lasso series. The episode is Rainbow. And when we left off, Coach Bishop had uh, established his feeling that Higgins is the moral center of the show. Uh, does that sound about right, Coach? Yes, sir. Okay. And um, uh, Boss, the last thing you had said was you related to um, Rebecca tossing her phone after she after she said "love," I suppose uh, is what she was looking for on banter, and you you were you were with her on that. Absolutely. I think she also right after that says it's fine, which I've absolutely done before. I also like so much that you threw it to me in terms of what I connected to instead of my immediate disagreement with Coach Bishop about how Higgins is the moral center of the show. So way to downplay the conflict. I appreciate that. (laughs) You guys are both really rambunctious. I just have to do what I can to keep the train on the tracks. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we we jump right in. in the next scene is Keely and Nate. Keely's drinking from a green shake. Um, and I noticed the green shake right away because in our family, we drink it. We drink some, we have some green drinks, uh, daily green drinks. But she was drinking it like the way you would drink a lemonade or something good, like a milkshake. She was kind of, and I was like, no, no, what you do with a green drink is you hold your nose and then, and then you dump it into your mouth as fast as possible. <laughs> and then you, and then you make the sound like a cat coughing up a furball. And then you look at your partner with resentment. I, I don't understand why. Is that just. <laughs> Put some pineapple in there, man. You don't have to live like that. Damn. Jeez. <laughs> you can. Uh, I'm over kale, baby. Uh, anyway. So she's just. Keely's drinking from a green shake. Uh, she notices Nate, Nate hovering around her door. Obviously calls him in to see if he needs something. He says he doesn't. Waits outside. Then he says, "Yeah, okay, yeah." And he comes in. Wait, um, wait, 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 wait. I yeah. I feel like you skipped and and because one of the things I enjoy about this show is that we hit varied uh, types of humor. And he's walking back and forth in front of her door, pretending to be doing so naturally. And then we cut to the reveal, which is like she's in like a little hallway cul-de-sac like there's nowhere for him to have been walking right that would have taken a dead end. Yeah. yeah i thought i thought you know that that is as classic nate as you could get uh bumbling nate at least that is it's not and it well see this is this is is this our final look at classic bumbling nate before the um well, we won't say what before. Um, but um, Nate, uh, remember when he first went up to Rebecca's office and then just turned and ran? It was yes. episode one. I mean, yes, it's yeah, absolutely first. Ago. Yes, the first episode. Yep, it's when he introduces them. So he hasn't come a long way emotionally since then. Anyway, Keely invites him in. Uh, he sits down and holds her the the furry office pillow 
you know, like he's really holding it to his chest, like a, like a safety blanket. And I thought, you know what, that's that office pillow. That's the, that's the highest form of praise that you can give that particular pillow is to treat it that way. You know, when you go to wherever and buy those furry pillows, the best thing that can someday happen for one of those pillows is someone holds it like that. Um, So you think so boss or. I think that might be the same pillow that Keely gave to Roy when they used to talk about Roy leaving football. When she said, oh, in, uh, what was it, episode nine, season yes. one? Yes. Oh, you're finally ready to talk about something serious. And then they sit down on the couch, wait, wait, and gives him the pillow. And he the puts talking it, pillow. And he puts it aside. He puts it aside. Nate does not. That is true. So what is the show teaching us here? More throw pillows? I also think Roy, I think Roy is figuring out how do I exist in this new way, this new space. Um, I think, I, I think it's interesting that Nate, I, I think it's interesting that I'm not sure that Nate knows what he would naturally do because he's trying to fit into, you know, he doesn't even buy his own clothes. Right. I mean, like, I think, I, I think there's just something there around that, that he just doesn't quite know. So wherever he is, he can kind of be that to a certain degree. Cause he's this, none of this is like really him. I mean, listen, there's a, there's the obvious comparison with, I mean, first of all, uh, boss, thank you for that hard hitting in-depth analysis that we thrive on, um, for about more throw pillows. That was, whew, boy. Having a lot of covers around the apartment is very important. Too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, extrinsic versus intrinsic happiness. Roy Kent is, you know, the way sh- that Keely bucks him up is you're fucking Roy Kent. Like he is a thing. It comes from inside. It always has with Roy Kent. So he doesn't necessarily need the, you know, binky. Whereas Nate, uh, if you said, Hey, you're, you're Nate, you're Nate the great. What does that mean to him? He's been on this ride that, you know, was never supposed to get past Kitman. So he might need that, uh, extrinsic or, or sort of artificial blankie to hold on to to give him some comfort. I don't know. Just a thought. Yeah, no, I think I think that's really I think that's really interesting, and I think it it maybe it also speaks to when you say you know you're Roy Kent, right? That has a meaning. Maybe there's something that we all found cute about Nate the Great, right? And giving him that name, sort of almost preemptively, or not even preemptively, but I see the greatness in you that not even you see. Does that make it a mystery? Does that make it a magic trick? Does that, and then does that make it then something that Nate doesn't own because he doesn't, he can't see it. He's just sort of believing it because he sees it in your eyes. I mean, to some degree, right. That's fascinating. So some degree, what Nate's superpower was, was he was able, he's great with football and he was able to dissect the individual sort of temperaments of the players. And apply that to their game day play, right? So I would say the great Roy Kent, you know, he would say you're old and you're, you know, like that amazing speech he had. And that came from his ability to observe and process and then turn the information into something actionable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But we haven't seen that this season. As far as I know, I mean, maybe I'm missing something, but I don't remember seeing any indication that Nate has weighed in on these all these ties to start the season that Nate has 
uh, been an active participant in anything except whatever happens in the Diamond Dogs that is not related to his specialty. Right? So Maybe. Yeah, I, I would have to think about it. But yes, I think we're going to see some strategy things and so on going forward. But that, that may be true for the first part. I'm saying to this point. Yeah. For the first part of the yeah. season, yeah. So, mm-hmm. so in that way, he may feel disempowered and and much less connected to who you know what what his his power source is or his or his uh, you know personal strengths. So anyway, he ends up on Keeley's uh, uh, seat in front of her desk and says, uh, "What is actually, boss? What <laughs> this line is so interesting? It seems like something like a like a eleven year old would say. But what does he ask from Keeley, boss? Can you make me famous?" Which yeah. Keely very quickly says, you don't actually want to be famous. Uh, if you're famous, you're going to have photographers up your bum, which it is an interesting way of saying it. Like, it, it, I don't want to get too in-depth into every line because you know how we can be. But I would say <laughs> that would be uh, maybe the tendency of a lot of people, myself included, to overshare through social media and other things. Um I believe in the news recently, there was something about uh, Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds mentioned in this episode, uh, publicizing their colonoscopies in part in order to uh, make sure that people are having colonoscopies done in order to do cancer screenings. But also like, that's a great way for a celebrity to get people to pay attention to them. Literally go ahead and photograph up my bum. That is that is amazing. Somewhere Katie Couric is like, I'm the OG though. I'm the OG. <laughs> Fair. So she says, you don't want, yeah, you'll have photographers up your bum, tablets going through the garbage, don't want that. And groupies everywhere. Uh and Nate says, That isn't so horrible, which is okay, fine. He's lonely, you know. This is a lonely dude. Um y- Yes, yes, and by the way, I think Nate wants the stuff, right? I mean, we like we've seen he, he, he's he's got to get that window table, and I think the groupies are another part of the you are an important person in this world kit. You're a real man. Um, you got the women, you got the power. So I think there's the groupies. Yes, he's lonely and sure, but also I don't know that he wants like I don't think he's like. And amongst those groupies, I shall find someone to give me companionship. No, he wants them on his arm, maybe more than he wants them in his bed. I mean, uh, that is, uh, I don't know. I mean, he strikes me as a completely um, marginalized creature outside of this building. Whether oh, it's from his absolutely. parents or – and so like – yeah, I don't – you're right. I don't think that – he definitely wants the status symbol of being pursued by women. There's no question that that's a huge part of it. Um, but yeah, I think he's just like bone dry physically. Like I think he's just – he's so lonely. Uh, and so I don't know. That's the way I read it. Um, he says, you know, that isn't so horrible. Keely says – tells Nate. Come on, you are who you are because of you. You are who you are because of who you are. Your intelligence and your talent. You don't want to go messing around with fame. And Nate says, "You know, I don't know. Being famous seems to have some perks, though, right?" And she says, "Famous people." She agrees. Famous people get sent so much free shit. A lot of time to them figure out what they want. Um, I didn't really know what that 
famous people get sent so much free shit. A lot of time they don't figure out what they want. Um, yeah, I don't know. And he says, I know what I want a window table to write. I think it was just like a, they wrote the line to set up the next line, and, but it was a little clunky, clunky for me, whatever, nitpicky. Um, he says, I know uh, what I want a window, ta- a window table on, to rest on. Okay, go that. ahead. Go ahead, boss. Yeah. I, I think part of it is, um, especially because Keely is known, is famous for almost being famous, she would be at like probably that Instagram influencer level where people would send her shit and then she would have to do videos about how much she loves that shit even if she didn't really care about that shit. So her entire personality would become wrapped up in presenting things so that other people will like them regardless of how she actually feels about them. So a lot of the time she wouldn't know what she wanted because so this of is a commentary. the fame that she had. Yeah. Right. So this is a commentary based on like her personal experience, you think? Yes. Okay. Yeah. No possible. Uh, Nate says, I, I know what I want, a window table at a restaurant. And she's like, is that it? Uh, well, plus maybe some of those groupies you mentioned earlier. Uh, no, obviously not. That's degrading. I didn't mean to. It's really cute. There's like it's like Ted's on his shoulder, reminding him how to be a you know to be a better man or whatever. Well, he he's the- got he's always had a strand of that in his game. Um, you know, remember when he came in and they were in the uh, the shoes in the, in the, with the shoes, and he yes. made the shoes joke, and he backed away from it. So yeah, I think there's something there. In terms of him knowing he's not supposed to have some of these thoughts he has, end quote. So now, Keely uh, says, come with me. And uh, she she ushers Nate out of the office. I would offer that Keely does it in part to enlist the help of, of Rebecca, but also because I think... When she complimented Nate, there's a look that went over his face that I would think, okay, if you're, if you're explaining to this guy, you're saying these things to this guy and no one ever compliments him. I could see it getting misconstrued by him. Um, that's, that's sort of attention and focused attention and people who think they're invisible all of a sudden being seen for the first time and they don't know they're not in touch with their emotions. It would be easy to conflate that compliment with sort of attraction. And so yeah. I didn't, I, I, I mean, maybe I'll say, I didn't think that from Keely and in part, I didn't think it because it's unthinkable. Like, I don't know. Like I'm trying to think of the equivalent, but I mean, it's almost Nate having a crush on his art teacher, you know, from the tan, you know, like I just, the tan lines, episode i mean i just feel like (laughs) i don't i don't know that keely could really process that he would really believe that she was hitting on him even if i don't i don't think think that i agree i don't think that's what happened but i also think that women have a sixth sense where they're like "Mm, let's let's just I don't know. I, I I could I could see it happening here. It may not be uh, the the primary motivation for her leaving, but you know this is a him and her in her office, and um and I don't know the look on his face where he was just like delighted to be. There's one way to take it where it's boyish happiness, and there's another way to take it where it's like oh someone's seeing me for the first time. Like I really appreciate this person, but uh, you can't trust Nate's emotional maturity. Um anyway. Uh, uh, Nate pets the tiger statue on the way out of uh, 
Keely's office, anything on that? Either one of you? No? Okay. I, I thought the attraction, uh, he, you know, what he said he wanted to be, you know. I, I just think, yeah, I think he would be attracted to, back to the basic lion panda, although technically it's not a lion, lion panda question. I think Nate ultimately would love to be a lion. Yeah. No, that's good. You're right. So they end up in Rebecca's office. Um, she's sitting down at her desk doing paperwork. Keely's uh, uh, behind Nate, holding his arm, walking him into the office. Uh, she tells Rebecca the situation. Rebecca, uh, you know, rattles off some of the top restaurants in in London. She knows the the name of uh, of the uh, uh, the re- you know the restaurants are off the top of her head and knows where she can get him a great table. And of course, no, that's not what he wants. Um, what's he looking for, boss? A taste of Athens. Oh wait, no. Am I at the wrong part? No, you are. That's it. Okay, good. A taste, a taste of Athens and tooting. In tooting. Oh God, that's what it was. It was that he added in tooting, and then of course it, Rebecca responds with, "Did he just say tooting?" Which yeah, yeah. Uh, also, hey, England, you can rename some of your towns. They don't all have to be named that anymore. I, I know for a fact that uh, Massachusetts has its own problems. So I'm not going to go pointing too many fingers because the states are not much better, but Tooting is a terrible name for a town. And, and it, it is it is said with quite a bit of down-the-nose disdain. I mean, like, <laughs> Rebecca, a little, a little uh, sensitivity, a little uh, cultural competence here, my goodness. But, uh, yeah, it, was, it is clear that Tooting is not some place where one should be getting uh, big-timed. Right. And then there's a simple solution to that. Rebecca says she's going to buy the restaurant. And um, loved I felt that line. You loved that? Yeah. I, I just made me laugh out loud. Like, that is absurd. I feel like I've seen this in other in, like other shows or whatever. And I've, I've always admired it. And, and I guess sometimes uh, when my kids want things, I say, okay, look at your wealthiest friend. Go ahead. Like, okay. Yes, they say, okay, I've picked my wealthiest friend. Okay, great. What do they have that you don't have? And, you know, it's like they have my, they have the same level of iPhone or whatever, or, you know, computer, whatever it is. Like they don't, and, and there's not that much of a difference. But, and so, you know, I've raised them to be mindful of that sort of thing. But at the same time, I think it'd be really fun to just be able to buy whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> like if someone bothers you, mm-hmm. just like, yeah, let's mm-hmm. buy this restaurant. Like, can you imagine? Oh my God. No, that's staggering. It's mind-boggling. Anyway, Keely talks her out of that and says, you know, teach a man to fish kind of thing. Uh, it's a cute line. Um, you buy a man a table, he eats once. You teach a man how to get a table and eats at that restaurant until it becomes a Starbucks. It's cute. Um, Rebecca says to Nate, it's being silly. Just be assertive. And there's a moment in here. I don't know where it is. I didn't put it in my notes. Where Keely pats him on the shoulder. And he looks down at her hand and I thought, hmm, okay. So I understand the read. I'm not taking the universal read out of the first thing of like, okay, I'm going to bring him to, to, I'm going to get safety in numbers that I'm reading in Keely. But, um, but him looking at her hand when she pats him, I'm like, why, why? that's such a, such a choice directorially. So I'm like, okay, all right. I, I'm seeing some, misunderstandings starting to happen here. Um, but anyway, Nathan mutters for a minute and um, 
she realizes, okay, there's a, Rebecca realizes there's a larger problem here and she says, we have work to do. All right, nothing there. Moving right along. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's good. That's, well, that's, well, it's interesting because there's uh, there's the joke there again. The the different types of jokes they tell on this show. Just be assertive, and then you know he does this rambling, mealy mouth thing. Um, but also, we don't. We sometimes just assume if it's true for us, it's true, and it, it is. Obviously, by the way this unfolded, it is unthinkable to Rebecca that if one wanted a, a, a you know a reservation wherever that they would you wouldn't just march in and say I, I'll be here at seven thirty on Friday. I have the window table ready. Uh, it, it, so I, it, it's Keely can actually see it from where she is. She understands what's necessary. But she's almost like their translator in this in in this sort of it's not quite a class conversation, but it's 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 something that bumps in the class for me that, you know, because she rattles off. She doesn't rattle off her favorite restaurants necessarily. She she rattles off the way she says it to me. I read it as she she's rattling off the the, the most pot, the the most exclusive restaurants. That's the only reason you'd be needing help getting into a place is that it's so exclusive. So that's where she chooses to eat. And, and, you know, it doesn't make sense to her that it wouldn't be happening, you know, otherwise. Right. I feel like we're missing some, like, so this is what's the, what's the real underlying through line here. Um, If Nate was more handsome. Mm Mm-hmm. Would he have gotten that table from maybe? I mean, he's he's holding on to a pair of sunglasses he wore when some woman who clearly was having a stroke told him he looked like Clive Owen. So it's 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 you know it's real in the field for poor Nate on that front. And I think yeah, if he'd walked in there and made Jade you know gasp a little bit, then uh, yeah, he'd be sitting at the window table any night he wants. I don't know if I think that's it exactly. Um, so here's when I'll inject a little bit more millennialism into the Gen X show, both theirs and ours. Um, My So-Called Life, not a show that I like. I didn't like it at the time. I don't like it now, but it is sort of a touchstone for people my age. And one of the things that uh, Angela Chase, the main character played by Claire Dane, says in there is, People are always telling you just to be yourself, as if yourself is one immutable object, like a toaster. Which is a fairly good point for a show that I hated. But I think that the issue is not that Nate isn't attractive, but that Nate has no idea who Nate is. Like, he was the kit man who knew about football, but now he wants to be bigger than that and he doesn't know how to do it. Like. Ted did essentially give him the role of being the manager. And now he doesn't know how to be the manager. He has these insights, but he doesn't know how to translate those into getting what he wants. Like physically, I don't know if Beard is a lot more attractive than Nate is, but Beard would be able to get that table if he felt like it. Because Beard has a better sense of who he is. Mm. Sorry, I was I was just Googling for a sec. Ways to acquire status. <laughs> I'm like, uh, um, <laughs> I'm just like Nate has no 
There's no sense of it. Anyway. Um, okay. So uh, we move on to the uh, – we'll discover this more as we as we keep going. Um, now we, we meet up with um, uh, Roy uh, filling the screen. He is in a kebab shop. We cut to three pictures uh, hanging on a wall. George Went, who's Jason Sudeikis' uncle. Marcus Mumford, who sings the intro to the show. And Roy Kent. And Roy's quote uh, reads, yum, Roy Kent. Uh, the camera pans down to Roy Kent. He's right there. Roy says, full screen, um, If you, either you take down my photo or start giving me free kebabs. And the owner says, 750 no and roy cops the money um okay so roy turns around and who is waiting for him there boss it's ted lasso of course it is i would also like to throw in very quickly i don't believe for a second that roy kent the quote that he gave to the shop owner to put on his photo was yum like that that's not a thing that he would do if he did that it was sarcastic and it was translated poorly yeah for sure but Ted is Although behind he, it. Also, um, he is laconic though in his replies, so it, I could see them him having a one-word response. Oh, uh, absolutely, a dry yum. Yeah, but but then I feel like the word would have been like shawarma. Like what he would have been conveying by saying that he was there is yes, this is a place that gives me food, and that's it. Yeah. Also, I do like um, the little bit of contrast between. Nate telling Jade what he wants and not getting it and being very upset and Roy telling the shop owner what he wants and not getting it and being like, meh, I'm still going to eat the wrap. It's still really good. Yeah. Good. I, good. I, I love that you brought that up. I didn't, I didn't grab onto that especially, but I do feel like this is an extension of some of the commentary on some of our key characters. Um, so we've got, you know, Rebecca, I eat at the finest restaurants, right? I eat at places where the paparazzi waits outside to take the pictures of who ate in there. And then you've got Nate who wants to just impress. He want, He doesn't even mention how he feels about this restaurant. The point is, it's his father's favorite restaurant. He's going to impress his father. That's what he's about. And I think, again, with Roy, this is an expression of what you said earlier about him, which is he knows he's Roy Kent. And he knows why his photo is up there. And he actually doesn't even want that thing for free. Because what would that prove? He's fucking Roy Kent. And just like he's he's eaten a, a thousand free meals and he could eat at any of the restaurants where Rebecca does, he chooses that place. And they've had that conversation 10,000 times before 10,000 different meals he ate there. Yes, exactly. This is him saying, uh, no, no, fuck you. No, fuck you. A hundred percent. At the gala. Yes. He does not give a shit. He does not. And and he respects about this guy that he wouldn't give him a kebab for free. Like absolutely. That, that's part of why he keeps going there. Yeah, yeah. No, I think just I think he's appreciates the reason to growl. A hundred percent. Right? That's right. It's just that's his right. favorite thing anyway. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. He uh, can be he can be Roy there fully. Like no, no pretense. It's the same reason he likes his, you know, his yoga, his yoga ladies. Yeah, definitely. So he turns around and uh, Ted Lasso is waiting for him. It's so crazy the energy shift with 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 Flanders in the building. I'm like, Jesus Christ! Um, Ted was Ted was on in this scene. Um, 
uh, uh, you know, T- Ted says, fancy meeting him here. And Roy says, Keely told him to be prepared for a mustachioed surprise that would anger him. And he thought it was going to be either Wario or his great aunt Natalie. Um, which is, uh, that's a Mario Brothers reference. And um, I don't know what makes your great aunt Nancy so great, but I appreciate your effusiveness despite her appearance. And Roy grunts. Uh, Ted says, I'll have what he's having, which is a throwback to, of course, when Harry met Sally. Um, the line that became the tagline of that film, which um, I don't know if you guys know this little tidbit of, uh, of movie lore, but the, the woman that said that was, go ahead, coach, do you know? No, no. Yeah, well, it's uh, Reiner's mom. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I was gonna. Yeah. I was. I was just gonna amen you. That's it. That's it. And um, wait, it's Reiner's mom, right? It wasn't Billy Crystal's mom. It was Reiner's mom, right? Yeah, that's I my. Forget. That's the way I remember it. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I remember. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, uh, she killed it. That's. I mean, she killed it. Anyway, um, I'll have what he's having. Uh, and Ted, you know. Asked, Roy asked Ted why he's bothering him in his kebab place. It's like his church. There's a transubstantiation, terrible transubstantiation, transubstantiation joke uh, about a pita. Uh, Coach, uh, you, you, you dug that? Well, it, yes. Not because it was a good joke. I think because it's kind of a pretty bad dad joke. It, like I agree with you that we are getting like that, the the height of that version of Ted. And I don't think it's by mistake. Actually, it's more solidified now that we're having this conversation for me because this is the version of Ted that Roy was was truly changed by and that he came to love. This is why you're hard to love. Well, to be hard to love, you have to be loved. And so I think I think actually we're watching some Ted Lasso coaching work on a whole other level on an additional level in his bringing that vibe into this and just this like this innocence of like hey you know i have a feeling you can help uh yeah i, th- I, I, think I definitely something see yeah he's on he's 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 vibrating at his highest ted lasso level here i picture him preparing for this meeting by doing a get big thing like rebecca like whatever ted lasso version of this like I know this is going to be hard and I know he's going to tell me to fuck off in the first three minutes, but you got to just stick with it. And he, he, he going to come around. Like, you know what I mean? You can just picture him prepping for this. He got dressed in easy pl- lover. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. Right. That's as long as it should take coach. That's it. Um, and, uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, he says, Hey, he mentions possibility of joining the coaching staff. Roy does tell him fuck off. Ted says that that's a solid negotiation tactic. I don't want to coach. I like what I'm doing. I'm good at it. People tweet about me with gifs and everything. Uh, quick poll of the of the uh, of the podcast. Uh, do you guys say gif or gif? Gif. Obviously, it's gif. I say gif. I would have lied and said I say gif just because that's what boss said. But as it works out, I didn't have to make that adjustment on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> in, the, in the same way that Roy likes to growl, I was kind of hoping you were both going to say gifs, but it's okay. uh, a damn shame. All right, so um, I know some people. No, it would make you unhappy. It would. Should we take that yeah, again? Should we take that again? From the top. Um, so uh, yeah, I know some folks pronounce it uh, gifs, but I hear you. 
Look, Roy, if you enjoy doing the whole punnet thing, then all by my all means, you should do it for the rest of your life. Um, why won't you let me be happy? And the dude, uh, Huss is the character's name. Um, uh, he's played by Omar Shakir and he, uh, he brings them, uh, you know, brings them the, the kebabs. Um, I don't know what Donner, I should have looked up Donner kebab. Do you guys, either one of you know that? God, we should look that up. Why is no. it Donner? I, and honestly, I do it feel like what me- this show lacks is a, a level of detail. Um, so yeah, I'm, a, I'm so, a little ashamed of you as our host, if I'm honest. Uh, I know I should have looked that up. Like, why is it a Donner? Like we call it kebabs in this country. They say kebab sort of, but I don't know what the Donner means. I, I should have looked that up anyway. Um, that's something for another day. It's um, human. It, it's human. It's, it's actually a Dahmer. <laughs> kebab. They're huge in the UK. They're big. They're uh, big. Um, so, okay. So, uh, he at uh, the 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 Huss the character who the store owner who refused to to uh, give Roy free kebabs he says um, you know you guys father and son and Ted explains that he's the former coach and says ah, it's all the same thing and yes get a little yes can I I'm okay, sorry yeah. I have to jump no, all no, over do there. it do it go ahead do that yes it it okay levels on some level. It is the same thing, right? The, the, when the, when the relationship really takes its, its, its full form, it, it, it can be very much the same thing. And I, you know, recently got invited, um, a mom of a kid I, I, I've coached along the way. And as it turned out, he had lost his dad. So I was just always extra aware of that with him. And, uh, his mom texted to, uh, ask if I could come uh, or to invite me, excuse me, to the, to his birthday party. Our families know each other. Uh, so, so, so head over, I'm sure. And it was amazing to have her invite me to his 18th birthday party. I was moved, but also she then shared when I thanked her, Oh, he added you to the list. And I couldn't have been more moved. Oh, Wow. I couldn't have been more moved. And, yeah, yeah, that's and this is a wow. kid who I've like, you know, I keep in touch with. I'm not, you know, the parents all know me. It's not a kid. I don't know, whatever. I'm just that dude. But I'm like, you know, I will text a kid on a random Thursday and be like, hey, kid, you crossed my mind. How's everything going? How's school? What's going on with this team or that team or whatever? And he's definitely one of the kids I have that kind of relationship with. And it's been amazing to get those updates but i just never would have thought that piece so yeah so anyway at its best yes to that commentary and in a show that i think is very much about fathers and sons um and i think in the next episode we're gonna have some really interesting stuff to talk about i think that was a significant line you know i don't have any emotions but uh that did give me feelings (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's very impressive, Coach. I, mean, I was going to say, if yeah. I were if I were a lesser version of myself, I might even be moved. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I was I'm say, proud to have come close. I'm proud to have come close. I love so much that you'll on a random Thursday just reach out to these kids and you have that relationship and and nobody like I I know how you are in your community. I've seen it with my own eyes. 
Um, I, I've, I've watched you cheer on the sidelines as the kids run for touchdowns on your flag football team, and you are losing your fucking mind. It's amazing. Like, it's amazing. Your, like, your clothes are flying around. You're jumping so high <laughs> that like it is insane. I adore who you are as a person, and I love that you've built this relationship and and that you're a pillar of the community. And uh, you are so, you know, I'm a budding narcissist, so I like to think I'm the best person on this podcast (laughs) as a lie. Um, But, man, you are are impressive. I love that. that, When you said that kid invited you, you would think that's the mom going, oh, you know what? Let's throw Coach Bishop in there, Mm -hmm. too. But no, the kid kid was like, I want – I'm I'm emotional about it. I'm like mm. uh, I'm gonna have to fight back some some mist right here because I appreciate wow, that. kids don't do that at 18, you know? Yeah, no, I I was really touched. I was really touched. <sighs> okay, god damn it, coach. <laughs> <sighs> All right, we'll pull it together. I love this guy. <sighs> All right, amazing, amazing. What an amazing guy. Um. All right, so, uh, Huss. The um the, the store owner, he says, uh, uh, you know what, coach, why don't you do the honors in this? What does he say? You two remind me of me and my old man when I told him I was leaving medical school a week before graduation. Ted interjects and that it's a good story. I would made a great doctor, too. I was really good at it. Bedside manner, reading charts, cutting up shit, at which point he looks at uh, which I thought was funny. <laughs> <laughs> but it's see, I told you it was a Dahmer kebab. But it's not <laughs> what I was meant to do. And Roy gives him the stink eye, and he says, "What? I love making Donner kebab." And then he turns to, uh, then he turns to Ted. Anyhow, anyway, how's that kebab, my friend? Yep. And then then we get a, a Drake quote. Well, well, to quote Drizzy, it's the best I ever had. Nice. So uh, he. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. I didn't. I was like, "What am I? What are they trying?" This is this is a lot of dialogue for an ancillary character. Um, and I was like, "Okay, what? How does this play into the episode? You you, you have to follow your heart." Because I was like, "He's sort of bullshitting, right? Like he's like, I would have made a great doctor, but it's not what it's meant to do. I love making a doner kebab." I was, I was like, "Okay, are we supposed to take him on?" Like, oh, I absolutely took that part at face value. I, I think okay. he's really saying, and I think the dynamic is not that different, right? I mean, essentially, if making Donna Kebab is being on TV outside of everything, blah, 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 and being who you really are, which is the kind of person who I, I would come to to help me deal with, um, sorry, with Isaac, then, you know, that's the choice that's being made here. Okay, so so it's a okay. So this is a this is specifically related to because it could be taken as a commentary. Or maybe it's both. Maybe it's a commentary on status, the way we're talking about with with Nate, um, because the status of a doctor is much higher than the status of a of a you know kebab chef. Um, it, it, the, it, in general, unless you own a chain of restaurants and are wealthy, which changes the status. Um, but uh, but also. Uh, Ted is trying to get Roy to do something that Ted believes is in Roy's heart. And I guess this is meant to cement that and, and push it through. Um, yeah. So anyway, he loves the kebab. Look, Roy, I'll kibble some bits aside. I'm really here just to ask you for a favor from one old friend, one Mr. Isaac McAdoo. Uh, and Roy's like, yeah, he's all up in his head. 
And yes, and I need him to check out of there by Saturday. You got any ideas? And Roy says, let me finish my kebab and pray on it. And Ted does a Catholic entering the pew ceremony, um, body cross, and uh, torture to watch for me. Um, But like, listen, I love Ted. I love him. But like, oh my God, when he gets this way, I'm like, settle the fuck down. Like the whole point of having beard is to is to balance this like when this goes so far over the top and maybe you're right maybe he knows it works on Roy like something about the innocence of it or the or the you know the abandon of this kind of like public act i'm just like whoa man that's just a lot but interesting that you say that because when we have him when we have Roy talk about um what he what 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 his kink is it is about being able to be that free that is specifically what he goes out and watches so just something to think about right oh okay i was actually thinking of it in a slightly different way in that um so one of my closest friends my college roommate who i'm still very good friends with she and i got very misguided tattoos together when we were in our early 20s um i really need the rest of that story i'm not saying now but I'm just I'm I'm flagging I, I am flagging that in our friendship. I yeah. will get that story. Thank you. Yes, absolutely you will. It's gonna be so much better than even you anticipated. Um but she, she is so excited. She yes. is sunshine and delight and owns still to this day like um her childhood care bear doll. And she and I love each other like a lot in an like uninhibited sort of, I am willing to admit that I love her way. And I don't do that with a lot of people or things. So I think that there might be something to the fact that like Roy is all sour and Ted is all sweet and it does seem to work in a similar way that Beard is sort of sour and he and Ted works together really well. Like, I, I think that there is something about Roy that would allow him to latch on to, even when he's annoyed, the uninhibited joy that Ted brings to a, a room. You know, I, I think that's particularly interesting uh, in the other direction, in a way, about Ted, that he finds those balances in his world. Um, that he would find Beard, that he would identify Roy so quickly. Um, and I'm just thinking about the, you know, especially now having, you know, learned about my ADHD and a bunch of other things. How many of my best friends along the way, not all, but how many of my best friends along the way have been much more the quiet type? The one who, if anything, mm-hmm. like hanging out with me made them step out in front a little bit more. Um, or, you know what I mean? Who, like they, and I've, I've noted that I found that balance. I mean, I was a, I drank like a fish in college and two of my absolute best friends, like you couldn't tell my story without them, literally did not touch a drop. <laughs> and we would <laughs> hang out and I'd be blind drunk and they'd be stone sober. And, you know, we just were all just doing what we do. Oh, man. I'm really glad I'm not the only one that drank like a fish in college on this Ooh. podcast. I love everything about what you're saying, but that is very reassuring to me. Oh, oh God. man, I drank, um, I drank my, I drank mine, yours, coaches, and at least half our audiences share. I mean, oh Lord, 
<laughs> it is it is fun to watch when co- when coach gets into the zone. He gets he gets his voice gets real gravelly. Oh my god! He starts throwing out idioms. It is beautiful. It is a beautiful. It's a sight to behold. You'll, yeah. you'll see. We, it we have a we you'll have a mutual friend who 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 says, "Oh, we've hit the red fox stage." Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, it is. Right. It is. It is a thing of beauty. Um. Anyway. Uh. Roy says this place is ruined now, and uh, now when Ted leaves, I love that line, and I love Roy, and I forgot to say how much every episode gets better. I say this every time, but I'm reaffirming that I I feel like I watch the show for Roy more than anything. Um, and one thing I want to pause it before we move on, super quick, Roy, we're talking about how Roy is at a crossroads, and he feels a little bit stuck, um, and. The one place that Roy feels truly happy, where he's like, why don't you let me be happy? I love my life, whatever. He doesn't really. That's him lying to himself about it, obviously. But um, the one place he does feel comfortable is where the people don't know that he's Roy Kent. And so the Mm. thing that I think he's struggling with is the fact that the inside Roy Kent, in order for him to make a move like become a coach – he would have to let the inside Roy Kent be the outside Roy Kent. He would have to be vulnerable on the outside for the first time. Because the one thing he doesn't show to anybody is vulnerability. He, in, in, when he's with the women that don't know who he is, he's, he's soft and sweet and mellow, right? And, and silly and accessible, emotional even, right? He's yeah. there. He's just, yeah. right? But mm-hmm. once he's Roy Kent, now it's all growls, even at little kids and things, right? So, um, I think there's a matching thing there. And the thing that he is, is he is um, terrified of is being vulnerable to the outside world. Um, anyway, moving on to Rebecca's office. Um, we are uh, uh, back with Keely, Nate, and Rebecca. Uh, they are now, uh, you know, sort of doing a, a pretty woman training sequence to boost Nate's confidence. Uh, th- there's a whole, you know, Keely pretending to be a hostess and Nathan Shelley party of three. Uh, and Keely says Shelby to, to sort of mess with him. And, and they coach him through how to, um, how to handle things like that. You know, Nate is going to gloss over it and just pretend that that slight didn't happen. And Rebecca exclaims like, no, that is not your name. Um, and they're, they're trying to get him to be assertive and get him to sort of, protect his identity and protect his, his, his right to have what he wants um, in the, in this, uh, in the taste of Athens in tooting. Um, then Nate of course goes overboard uh, and freaks out once she calls him Shelfie. And he says, it's Shelly and you know what you did there in Kestrel, <laughs> which I was like, Jesus Christ. Um, anything so far here from you, boss? Uh not yet, I should say. It's not that I don't think the scene is entertaining. Um, it didn't do a lot for me, to be perfectly honest. Like yeah, I, I like I'm that with, they were I'm working. With you on that. Yeah, it, it just uh, it sort of felt like it was a, a fun way of showing him needing to practice these things. I felt but yeah, I, that's right. It felt performative, and so for yeah. me, it's like. Do I buy that this happened? And do I buy that they would take the time to do this? And as opposed to like, 
Rebecca just getting on the phone and being like, okay, yeah, hi, it's Rebecca Welton. I need one, you know, table at the window and tooting. And I, I'm just like, do I buy this? And I, and I'm like, we went from, and again, this is why I'm going to interject in, here. I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. This is why. Sorry. No, no. In the, in the homage to, to, uh, rom-coms or whatever, this is the training montage. And I get that, but it didn't feel like if it was someone else, like if you, if you said, okay, the training montage is the Isaac one later. I go, yeah, yes, that is that I get. But for, this one didn't land for me uh, as well. Well, in terms of believability of it happening, I'm not sure that if Nate walked in, this is where he and Rebecca would end up. But I think Keely sees what he actually needs. And I and I do think that in terms of like disciples of the lasso way or the most like naturally lasso way people are Keely and Sam. I think they like get it immediately and they kind of embody it a lot of times. Um, so I think this is her coming up with that. And the power she has in the relationship with Rebecca is why Rebecca is participating. That actually does make a lot of sense to me. And I do like, yeah. you know, uh, Castleton, when you said that Rebecca would get on the phone and say like, this is Rebecca Welton, I need a table, that they didn't do that, that they instead went to the effort of trying to get Nate to a place where he would be able to do that does feel very Ted Lasso-like. So I do appreciate that. It just still is, I don't know. It it, it didn't overwhelm me. The scene didn't. Absolutely. I mean, I think this is an extension of we teach you how to strut, then we teach you that in that suit, you don't got to do the strut, let the suit do the work. Now we're going to teach you, you know, how to stand up for yourself and, 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 and demand what's yours or what's rightfully yours or what you really want in this world. I do think it's significant in terms of how the scene actually plays out. His insults, especially when he's dealing with women. When he, when, when the, the sort of like sheepish Nate parts and, and what peeks through, um, it's, it's very angry and it's, I feel specifically angry in the way it's, you know, a shrew. Yeah. I mean, that's still like, you have not been fired yet and you just called your boss a shrew, homeboy. So I don't like, wow, like, Take it easy. It, it, it's interesting. A uh, uh, consultant, when I first started in all this, in the consulting work I do and coaching, uh, one of the things he would say is that when you squeeze an orange, orange juice comes out. There are a lot of reasons why he should be thrown off a cliff, but that was actually valuable. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm sorry, did I say that out loud? And so uh, make sure make sure you don't edit that out. Thanks. Um. So he, but really, it's like he. When we squeeze Nate, what keeps coming out? I mean, even the speech, and I cried. I'm not even going to hit you with the guy. I had tears in my eyes when he gave the big speech and we let you reference earlier with the great where he can't. But, like, his oh, yeah. natural inclination is to roast them. Like, that's his, he goes from, oh, I could never say my thoughts, to that's what he wrote down. He, that's what he actually thinks. Now, he's not you know, to put it, you know, not so politely sacked up to where he can say, I'm just going to say this to you, but that's what's in there. And I think that we're seeing time after time when you squeeze the particular Nate orange, the juice that comes out has got a lot of anger in it. 
That's that's a great point. My God, that's a great point. So one thing that I I highlighted, um, at least, okay, so I'm a father of four, as I've mentioned, and so time is a huge thing for me. And I look at this scene and I watch, I'm like, this is the time of two professional women to help this absolute nitwit try to <laughs> try to get a tan. I'm like, I'm so conscious of the time, and I keep getting bombarded. We're in a we're in a we'll move on after this, but. We're in a time in, in our country and, and throughout the world where women are under attack. And we constantly, as a species, devalue the amount of power and strength and intelligence that women have, specifically because we look back in time and we go, okay, men are like the hunter-gatherers and, and you know, women uh, you know, sort of manage the quote-unquote home or, or things like that. And we've, we've turned it into... Like that, that, that the man's job is, you know, is, has danger, has a danger element and therefore more meritous or something like that. But meanwhile, when the men are out, just it's a binary thing. You're going to kill the thing for food or you're not. So it's like, there's not a lot of complexity to that. Meanwhile, women have to navigate the complexity of staying back with the tribe and navigating emotions and juggling her husband's emotions when he comes home and he hasn't made the kill as when his best friend did. What all the different things, raising children, being aware of temperature moving in. And I keep seeing examples, not the least of which is because there's like this thing that that's happened. And coach, I don't know if you've bumped into this in your private coaching, but women of a certain age, and it's usually like they get to about 60 and mm-hmm, they look at their mm-hmm. husband who's like a functioning alcoholic or they look at the, it's just because I'm in New England, that, that happens a lot here. Um, or they look at them and they go, what the fuck do I need this dude for? Like, why? What is this? What, what am I getting from the, what benefit am I getting from this relationship? And I consistently see these examples where women are un- completely undervalued and, and we've, we, I just, I just, so I noticed it in this scene with, with, with Nate because their emotional quotient is so much higher than him. He's like a, he's like a, like a, like a, just a, a deer that has been born, you know, like a fawn and he can't, he's got knocked. He's not a baby things. child. Like, uh, he is the baby child that Roy said he wasn't. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's like they have to coach him on the basic, like fundamental basics. And I think this gulf is one of the things why you have toxic masculinity, because there's nothing in the gulf to that's that's engineered in our current society to value the all the contributions that women make in the level of like emotional complexity and emotional maturity. And that huge piece gets lost in men as they grow, and it's turned into contact sports and uh you know like pursuits where women are 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 made to be the enemy or you know or a preventative thing oh i can't go out because my wife won't let me or whatever the thing is it's much easier to put someone else in a position uh of responsibility if you don't know how to take responsibility in and of yourself and i know this is like a huge you know that's a giant piece of thought but but I, it really hit me in the scene, especially because I had just watched the show for all mankind. And I don't know if either one of you have seen any of it, but there's this one scene that hit me so hard because it was this, uh, it's a woman who became the first black astronaut in NASA. She's on the moon. She's the first woman on the moon. And she has to, she's got two people in this little space, this like moon base that they have, two men who are her, uh, superiors like rank wise in the military. 
and she's and they're both kind of going crazy a little bit. And she has to be this level-headed person. And she gets to talk to her husband who's back on earth and he's just come back from Vietnam and he's all fucked up. And the scene is her on the moon surrounded by a vacuum in space and the husband is complaining nonstop to her and she's got to calm him down. And I was like, "Oh my god, this is such a great scene." Because like not only does she she is forced to manage the two dummies that she's with from a position of lower rank but she also instead of having any time to be like yeah man like it's hard up here i could die at any second she spends her entire call mollifying and and congratulating and sort of trying to improve the mood of her husband on earth who is not in imminent danger and i thought oh my god this is like so beautiful this is what i see and this with keely and rebecca was a version of that that sort of was like oh god don't people see this it's I have to say I'm getting very strong um John Wings Knight in the coffee shop vibes. And if Daphne asked you to talk to me, I don't think she meant on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna start there. No, um, no, absolutely. I think the the you know, the whole thing of the emotional labor um in households and 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 the cost of that. Um, even the idea of what it means to support in all sorts of communities. And I'll say, you know, um, there've definitely been some conversations specifically in the, in the black community that I've, I've been privy to over the last few years around how consistently, uh, black women show up for others and how consistently others don't show up for black women. Uh, that, that's, yes. a, that's a specific yes. sort of version of this, but I'm, I'm totally with you and hear you. And yeah, I, I think, I think there's a lot, there's a lot to be said for the amount of energy we put into making sure that women, well, whether we make sure or not, that we set things up in a way that makes women have to read a room in a way that a lot of men don't bother. And, I, and uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Or can't. Just have no training. Right, right. It's, so it just was, yeah, I bring it up because it was like, God, there's two phenomenal women here coaching this boy. I'm like, this boy is not worthy of this attention. He, he has not made himself worthy in my I'm like, not that that's like a structural thing that you should be at a certain level of work. Maybe that's what makes it even better is that they're giving him this time, but I'm like, Oh God, he, it's just, yeah, it, it was, t- for me, it was just hard. And then later on, there's this great line where she says, uh, uh, you know, you know, they're talking about, um, uh, Keely's taken back by the anger. She's shocked by Nate's anger. And, uh, she explains it doesn't need to be loud to be commanding. And, he says, with all due respect, it's different for me, Miss Walton. You command every room you walk into. She says, hardly. Have you ever been in a room full of football club chairman? Every time I walk into those meetings, you look, they look at me like a, some schoolgirl with pigtails. And uh, Keila says, oh, you look well fit with pigtails. And Rebecca says, I do. Which, which made me think of this thing. It was like this list I had read years ago where it was like all the things men have ruined. And one of them was pigtails. One of them was ponytails. And one of them was pigtails. Because should you... Should you should you deign as a woman to put your put pigtails in your in your hair as a fashion statement or whatever? It will men will misread that, and therefore you can't do it. And you know we've alluded to how you know that how hard it is to even just get dressed in the morning as a woman compared to what it's like for a man. So all of these things are hitting me in this scene. Um, 
And, you know, b- boss, is any of this, I, I'm speaking for on behalf of women. It's too bad uh, we don't have a woman on the podcast to weigh in on this. I will fully admit I was hoping I would jump in at some point only to have one of you cut me off just for the pure comedic gold that that would be. Oh, my God. I thought to do it. And I was like, no, it's too much, Orlando. Don't do that's it. Terrible. See, it's Ter- that, terrifying. No, see, that's it. Exactly. I was really hoping one of you guys would. But then also I didn't want to be like, hey, which one of you wants to be an asshole? So I I, I decided not to. But um, I think what bone is. I think. <laughs> oh, damn it. I blew my own joke. God Damn it! <laughs> I think um, what boss is trying to say here. Is there we go. Yeah. No, I mean everything that you guys are saying, and also I do uh, actually appreciate that you guys are saying this instead of me having to be like, "Hey, women do all the emotional labor for you," because at least that acknowledges that this is a larger issue. That it's not just a problem for women. Also, this is a problem for men because. Uh, then you guys are little baby children. Um, so I do like Absolutely. that you brought it up. And also, I don't need to talk about the damages of doing emotional labor. So that's me not doing the emotional labor for you guys, which I also appreciate. I this, am wondering, though. This so if, meta. So meta. I'm wondering, though, if the list that you were thinking about, Castleton, was um, the song Welcome to Hell from SNL when uh, Sir Ronan hosted and it was right after, like, I think we found out about Matt Lauer and his automatic locking door. Yes, and they have a whole list yes, of the things yes. that men had ruined. And one of them was ponytails yeah. and parking lots and something else. And I'm not remembering. But yes. yes. No, it was that. It's hilarious. Everybody should That's go look exactly it up right, right now. That's where great. I heard it. Yeah. Um, and also they do a great luckily point out in the song, Leslie Jones comes on to say, oh, you guys know that all this is way worse for women of color, right? And they're like, oh, God, yes, absolutely. So. Masterpiece. You should go check it out. Will do. Not remembering it. Oh, you'll love, Coach, you'll love it. It's so good. That whole episode was decent. So she's wrong. She's great. Um, So anyway, Rebecca says the secret to be commanding. She makes herself go big, stands up on her tiptoes, puts her arm in in the air, and makes herself as big as possible to feel my own power. She does a demonstration. It's this huge, growling, huge thing. And Keely whispers, fuck, you're amazing. Let's invade France. <laughs> I I really love it. That was a great line. I um, loved it. Yeah, it was great. Um, Rebecca admits it's silly, but it works for her. Nate needs to find his own thing, uh, which we'll explore later and not back down so quickly. Um, you deserve whatever you want. Which yeah. I. I think it's worth noting. I don't want to go too far into it because we will we we will have reason to talk about it shortly. I I think there's something relevant about her talking about the power as something she's embodying. It's from within. Keely makes a joke saying, "Oh my God, you look that powerful. Let's go impose that power." But that's actually not what Rebecca is summoning it to do. And it's also, it's not how she approaches it. So I just think that's worth noting. Yeah, no, good point. I think the other thing that got me about this scene is that Nate says, well, you're Rebecca Welton. You command any room that you walk into. And Rebecca Welton is like, yes, but that's because I put in the work in order to figure out how to command that room. This is not a thing that necessarily naturally came to her. Like she has wealth and privilege and she has been brought up around 
powerful people, I'm sure, but she had to learn how to do that. Like, I, I do think that there is, uh, I mentioned it on the show I know before, where there's a layer of women being expected to appear perfect and say, oh, this old dress, oh, oh this old thing. Oh, I just threw it on. Like, we aren't mm-hmm. supposed to put effort into it and we are supposed to seem flawless. And so she's like, no, I get in front of a mirror and I pump myself up. Like, this is showing I- her putting the work in. I love that. And actually, you just gave me a huge aha. This entire piece we're digging into is a debate between growth and fixed mindset. Oh. Nate believes there's a magic switch. And if somebody would flip this switch, then I could be this version of me I picture with the women on my arm and where I get all the tables I want and tooting and right, like, and I'm, I'm that. Right. People finally respect me. I'm, I matter. And most of all, my father finally says, I'm proud of you. And, and I think, I think that's, I think that's significant. Yeah. I think it's good. Um, you deserve whatever you want. I always subscribe to the William Money line from, um, the, the excellent movie Unforgiven. Have you guys seen the movie? I have. I'm not like versed in as I am with certain films, but yeah, definitely a classic. There's like a there's like a thing where uh, this this person is killed. I don't want to give anything away for people who haven't seen it. And one of the other characters says, "You know, he didn't deserve to die like that." And Clint Eastwood says, "Deserves got nothing to do with it." And I always think I always when people say I deserve that, I'm like. Mm. It just doesn't it, like, and I know, Coach. This is going to be uh, that we may come to loggerheads on this one, but I'm like, oh, deserve is a weird word. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, deserve, you can earn things, but right. like, deserve. I'm like, ah, like, deserve is a, a word that's fraught with landmines and complications. I think mm-hmm. because it presupposes some entitlement that I don't think exists. Mm-hmm. And yet, I would say, as a rule that human beings deserve respect, right? Like there's certain the things I would say it about. And I agree with what you're saying. So that, that that's an interesting piece. I, I think establishing in whatever, whatever you're discussing, how one, why one would deserve the respect or why we're, we're deciding to proceed that way might be the, the key there. But yes, I get what you're saying. And I think th- there's a lot there. Also, I think there's a lot there in terms of the growth mindset of that, right? Like what you're speaking to is, well, you start here and you do the work and you become bigger and you start to grow into who you are. And then maybe Rebecca Welton takes a moment and has a conversation with you and that's great. And you're moving forward. Um, I think a fixed mindset, again, is going to be just like, can you please sprinkle the fairy dust, which is what he asked for in the first place. He said, can you make me famous? He didn't even tell her about the table or nothing else. He was like, I need right. somebody to flip right. the switch. I need you to sprinkle the pixie dust over my head and make people follow me on Instagram. Right. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, uh, okay, so as, I think we're going to explore that a little bit more as this goes on. Uh, Isaac and Ted are walking down the street at night. Isaac asking, he's like, what the heck are they going to do with Roy Kent at this hour? And Ted says, same thing you do when you cross an elephant with a rhinoceros. Hell, if I know. And I thought, I hate that line so much. He mistold the joke, which I that made me kind of giggle. All right, explain how it should have come out. It's supposed to be, what do you get when you cross a hippo 
an elephant and a rhinoceros. No, wait. Yeah. Yeah. Hell, hell, hell Yeah. That's hell of I know. Got it. Yeah. It's, it's hell not, it's a terrible, like my first joke preschooler joke and that he then mistold it made me chuckle, but it was not, it was not the height of Ted Lasso comedy offerings. <sighs> I mean, this is specifically why during season two, I had to, um, instead of working for like 45 minutes, one afternoon, instead do a, a mock-up where Jason Sudeikis as Ted Lasso says, howdy morning neighbors or something, some, some nonsense from one of these episodes. And then where the Millers, Jason Sudeikis says, Hey, fuck you, real life, Ned Flanders. And so I matched those two photos up and I made it my Facebook uh, photo for like <laughs> long enough that my mom yelled at me and told me to take that down. <laughs> and this is it. Like there's a part of Jason Sudeikis that'd be like, hey, fuck off, real life, Ned Flanders. Um, yeah, th- that's my only input on this joke. All right. So Isaac uh, gives gives Ted not a look. Uh, Ted says, Roy didn't give many details, just the address, be ready to play. They're walking through the dark. They make a comment about how crabby Roy can get. Ain't no side eye like a Roy can't side eye. It's like he's 24-7 hangry. Three six uh, is what Isaac says. And um, then Ted adds uh, 365, but 366 on leap years, baby. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to kill between this and the kebab. <laughs> I'm like, Oof, this is this is rough. Um, they walk around the corner. Not knowing where where Roy is, Ted texts Roy, and the illumination of a phone pops in front of them out of the out of the darkness, and it it uh, illuminates scary Roy Kent face in front of him, and they both jump. I, I really liked that. I thought that was great. Yeah, I think I think it's it's a lot of fun for Roy to still hold the uh, the place with these two. I mean, the unquestioned leaders of the team. And they both literally cower <laughs> at the yeah, side of right? Roy Kent. Yeah. The thought of him, really. So we go to a soccer field uh, in the middle of the urban jungle. And Roy points to a block of flats. He's like, hey, see see that block of flats? And Isaac says, yeah, the shit one. And Roy's like, yeah, that's where I grew up. <laughs> Which, <laughs> that is my kind of humor. I love that. I That, I think, is great. The shit one. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's my home. That's my home. Uh, le- this is where I grew up and this is where I learned football. And whenever he, uh, he hit a bad patch, he would come back to this field and he would play. And Roy introduces Isaac. He says, here's Isaac. Um, and he's, here's all the other fucks. And, um, Isaac scoffs and he's like, are you, are you expecting me to play with them? I'm a, like, I'm a fucking professional. I'll kill them. And Roy isn't so sure. Um, and um, Ted, you know, so this is Roy's plan. He's going to play with these guys. Ted asks what he gets to do. Roy says nothing. He says if he can ask if he can keep score. I'm going to use my fingers. It's zero zero, uh, nil nil. Roy corrects him, and he says it's nil nil. There's zero. There's zero ego there, and I think that's worthwhile. Like Ted's the leader, but right now he's not the leader. And so he wants to be involved in this some kind of way. And so he'll be the scorekeeper. I mean, if you imagine Isaac saying, I'm a professional, I'm not playing with these guys. How about 
I'm the coach <laughs> of a, a Champions League team. I'm not keeping fucking score in some parking lot soccer game. But he, you know what I mean? Like, so I, I think it's it's interesting to watch how far one is from the other. Yeah, I noticed. Okay, this episode again. Whenever Roy's on the on the screen, I'm I'm really into it. We cut to from that scene to to Taste of Athens. Um, two characters we don't know. Um, Nate's parents. He he's Nate looks nervous. Uh, his mother brushes some stuff off his jacket, dust off his jacket, or something. Jade is working again. The lovely Jade. She says uh, she walks up to them. Nate says Shelley, party of three. She correctly pronounces Shelley, but. Nate is ready to go off and he says, no, my name. And he jumps the gun. Ugh. Nate apologizes and introduces, uh, uh what, what something just struck me. Yeah. Just, just quickly, you know, also it's this idea, like Nate's playing a role, right? Like what happened there was she missed her line the way he's doing it. What the goal was of them, play acting it wasn't guaranteed she doesn't respect you she'll mispronounce your name the 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 point was how do you become assertive well that's a real thing there's a um a documentary now it's not going to be quite as short but i'm gonna try to get through it quickly there's a documentary called uh special thanks to roy london and basically it's about this acting coach roy london and for those who used to watch larry sanders um that was like the final credit on on that show and it's because he had worked with gary shandling intensively and just really like opened him up as an actor and just made an immense impact on his life but they went through all these actors that he'd worked with it was pretty amazing like he worked with sharon stone before she got basic instinct and he worked with this one before that and he worked with um she worked with he worked with uh brad pitt before thelma and louise like this dude was everything and one of the things that he did in terms of acting is he took it to a new level in terms of being present. So it wasn't just um, you're in a scene and you're sad. So, like, let's think about the time when your mom passed or what have you and then bring that here. No, it's about being in this moment and fully present with the emotions of this moment and playing that. So if you're in a scene with your hero and, and you can't believe and you're nervous, then your character's nervous. Right. Like you just really are that uh, present. OK, all of that. Why did I bring that up with Nate? Because Nate is doing the kind of acting in quotes that child actors do. OK, go here. Not great child, act, but, you know, like the average child actors go here, say this. Now you're going to be funny. Now you're going to be sad. And Nate's not capable because he doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know how to respond in a given moment. And I think that's part of what we love about Roy. We actually don't always know exactly what Roy is going to do, but what we do know Roy is going to do is always be Roy. And there's something really comforting about that. Yeah, no, that's true. And he can fall, he can fall back on being Roy. There's a fallback position. What's the fallback for Nate? Like, yeah, there you is know, is it like at least Roy's fall, I guess Roy's fallback is, is fight, you know, fight, flight, freeze. There's one other one, right? Fight, flight, or freeze. Fuck off. Uh, fuck off. Okay. I'm not sure that's the official one, but I like it. Oh, that's it's in the DSM eight. Um, so yeah, so DSM eight. Uh, that's gonna be so, an undervalued joke, and I just want to flag it. <laughs> I just want you to know that I appreciated DSM eight. That is ridiculous. Thank you, thank you. DSM the uh, Ocho. 
All right. Bye. So, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so Nate apologizes and uh, uh, introduces um, his mom and his dad and as having the same uh, name to Jade. They're a gaggle of Shelley's. Uh, Nate's dad is quick to, to, to jump in. Stop blabbering up the young, stop blabbing up the young lady. Your mother's hungry. Uh, Nate's mom hushes him. He's just been looking forward to the Saganaki all week, um, which is great. Can I just, you know, again, I think this is really significant and like how, you know, how we end up the way we end up. And we could look at Nate's dad and I think very clearly see how this like constant withholding of love and constant criticism and beating like I, we i think it's you know i think most of us can watch that and get the negative effect it might have on someone potentially i think it's also important what mom's part in the dynamic is because she infantilizes and like we we you know we know about you know she buys some of his clothes whatever and i just think it's important that this is a team. This is a, this is a team dynamic. This is a family culture at work that we're seeing here. And I'm not sure that mom just sort of like, it's okay. And sort of brushing off his shoulder and fussing over him is really the solution. Like on some level, like, has she ever just had a talk with this man and been like, Hey, like you can't just beat our son down every single turn. She hasn't. She thinks she's building him up by saying, I care about you. But she's also saying you're small and weak and needing to be defended from a man. She's not she, he's not going to he's not going to learn how to deal with his father or anybody else this way. Yeah, that's actually I shouldn't say actually. That's a great point. I love that you brought that up, um, especially because the opposite of cruelty isn't, I mean, the opposite of cruelty is kindness. That's fine. The solution to cruelty isn't kindness. You can't Come on. make people forget about the abuse they've suffered because you are nicer to them. Like the answer is to get rid of the abuse. And that's not what either of his parents are doing. Absolutely correct. Okay. So Nate is doing his best to, uh, you know, set the table here, oh, set the table, so to speak. My God. Um, Nate then reminds Jade of their 35th wedding anniversary, Jade. Um, and then she completely just turns around and takes him toward the corner in the back. Nate stops for a second. He's, he's deflated. We see the father. And this is really like on the nose directing. <laughs> father looks at the window table, back at Nate, frowny face, and... You know, he's clearly disappointed. Nate approaches hostess Jade about the window table. She shuts him down again. And Nate excuses himself from the, the terrible table in the back. I was like, that's like a prison table. I was like, no wonder the guy doesn't want to sit there. That's awful in the back. Um, By the kitchen, and, no less. Yeah. Oh, so bad. It was such a bad table. Uh, it's so insulting. God, I really don't like Jade. I mean, really, really don't like her. Um, anyway, um, Nate goes into the bathroom and, okay, boss, walk us through what happens in the bathroom. Ah, I mean, yes, but also just to warn everybody right now, it's pretty depressing. Uh, so Nate goes into the bathroom 
and there's a mirror and he does the Rebecca move. He tries to do what she taught him to make himself big and feel powerful mm-hmm. because Nate still doesn't know what kind of toaster he is. So he has no idea about himself. And then when that doesn't work, he looks at himself in the mirror and says, you are Nathan fucking Shelley. Great, great move. You're Roy fucking Kent. And you're Nathan fucking Shelley. Like, you know who you are. You know what you need. And then he spits on his reflection. Yes, he does. And that's not great. <laughs> like, I, I, I feel like it's so on its face not great that I don't know what else to say about it. Uh, like, I'm generally very in favor of people accepting deficiencies in their personality. Like if you can't change it, if you work on it and it's still something that you don't like, the best thing to do is accept it because you can't change it. So you might as well live with it in a way that feels healthy. But this feels like it's not something he's accepted that he has a little touch of self-loathing the way that some other characters will explore later in the season. This is him feeling a lot of self-loathing and acting on it in order to make himself feel more powerful, which is a really dangerous dynamic. And I feel like this episode took a really sharp turn at this point for me. I think the, I think the series does. I think, I think this is, I think this is a culmination of sorts, but it's also a, a, an inflection point in terms of all their lives because this 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 transformation into Nathan fucking Shelley. Um he spits in his own face as you point out, but what does that then mean? Like, then who's he gonna be? Well, he's gonna be this thing he's gonna create, right? I mean, it's like got some Gatsby vibes to it. So I just think there's I think that's an interest like, okay, so what's he gonna create is the next question. Um but when he spit in his own face, I was like, that is super specific, man. Like, I've tried some different hype-ups. I have never thought spitting in my own face was, like, the road to I'm going to go out here and kill him. Yeah. Um, and yeah. there feels something so, like, being spit on is so wildly disrespectful and such a violation. It's almost somehow worse than being physically assaulted. Like, I, oh, I yeah. would rather have you slap me across my face than spit on yeah. me. Like, it's so degrading. And yeah, as a person, like Co- coach is like, either one is gonna get you in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I get what you're saying, boss, but I tell you what, it's, yeah, it's <laughs> cross the line either way. So bad, and I personally like. What I say is I'm not that great of a person. I don't actually have a low opinion of myself, but I'm just like, eh, come on, let, let's get real. If we're comparing me to other people, I'm I'm okay. I don't dislike myself, but I do like to be honest about who we, I am. We would heartily disagree, boss. Oh, well, I know, I know we heartily, but heartily. Continue. Thank you. Although, you know, this is also part of my own sort of like, then when I'm not that great, I'm like, oh, well, you know, you know what I'm like. You knew it was a snake when you picked it up. But anyway, all this uh, personal psychoanalysis aside, um, I do not shy away from the idea of people embracing their flaws. I really hate the idea of somebody degrading themselves that thoroughly. Like, it's, it was really icky. It was bad and icky, and I hated it. And I know that that's the response I was supposed to have, but this was maybe one of the 
most effective scenes in the entire season for me. I also, and maybe I'm wrong about this piece, um, but I watched this particular episode, excuse me, with my wife, at least a couple, at least a couple of the viewings. Um, but I think the spitting is also like super male. Like, although the references in this show are going to be from, you know, across the pond, um, you know, I think about baseball players spitting and hearing women um, comment on it and certainly hearing like moms at Little League being like, I don't care what your favorite player does, knock it off. Right. And so I think it, there's a uh, toxic masculinity was mentioned earlier and i that's an element there's not only that i despise myself but i will spit on that weak version of me that can't get the table um that's like an embracing of that hyper masculine toxically masculine version of of what it means to go out into the world and make it happen yes absolutely that he needed to put somebody else down, even if it was only the idea of himself in yes. order to feel better. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And that was a vis- visually effective way to do it for the show. Um, yeah, no, it's tough for me. Uh, yeah. I thought the show took a turn here as a whole. I, I, it felt very, this felt very not, not good and not healthy, Coach, but also real quick. Yeah. I want to toss in yeah, yeah. that Lauren Hill has a line and I want to say it's in her song lost one from the miseducation album, but where she says, why for, why for you to increase, I must decrease. And that's to me, that would be the question th- that Nate, the great who we fell in love with might ask Nathan fucking Shelley, who just spit on him. Yes, Absolutely. My mind goes to a little different place. That's amazing. Here's the thing that I, I, <laughs> it's just a totally a personal thing. Like if we're at a stoplight or, you know, a traffic light and someone in front of you, light turns and the person just sits there and you look in there on their phone, it makes me fucking crazy because there's like this social obligation, social responsibility. We all have to share the world. And I constantly see people making choices that put themselves at the forefront and not other people. So when Nate spit on that, that mirror, I'm like, Dude, mm-hmm. what the? Someone's got to clean that mm-hmm. up. Like someone, who, I'm like, who? Mm-hmm. You're gonna leave your? If I'm fine with you spinning mm-hmm. on yourself, really, like truly, but then wipe it up. I'm fine with you being on your phone at a traffic mm-hmm. light as long as nobody's behind you and you're not holding other people up. Everybody is so self-centered. It makes me crazy. Not well, everybody, obviously, it's a rash generalization. But when people make these choices that affect other people, I don't care what you do. You 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 wanna you wanna um abstain from sex. Fine, doesn't affect me at all. That's your choice, but don't put your shit on me. And this is something that's bleeding into politics, and you know has forever, and it makes me crazy. I don't. That's your thing. That is not my thing. I you want to spit. You, that's your thing. I like that you just did that, and actually, you're doing it made me think that I may be bringing this into the reading, or there may be some really excellent and well planned writing going on. But think of juxtapose that with Ted and the bubbly water at our inciting time in that, in that press conference and he spits. Okay. He doubles back. Like Rebecca shuts down the whole shit. And as he, before he can leave that room, he comes back to apologize. Right. For having spit on their stuff. Their stuff. Right. 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 Now we have Nate walking out. He doesn't give a shit. Who's going to clean that mirror because for the position he now plans to put himself in in this world, 
fuck that person and they can clean it up because they're beneath him. They can clean it up right. for the same reason it was his job to kick shit. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's just gro- it's gross. It's a gross uh, human trait and uh, I, it, it nauseates me whenever I see it. Um, Nate walks out. Uh, he come. He's all fired up now. Tells his parents not to get too comfortable. Um, we get uh, there's a there's a nice uh, tracking shot behind Nate as he as he walks over to the hostess and um, Jade. This is a special night for my parents and the window table is open. So here's what I'd love to see happen. You're going to give us that table and then my family and I are going to order a starter, main course, a dessert, and a bottle of wine. And you're going to be stunned by how quickly a gaggle of Shelleys can get through a three course meal and get out of here. So what do you say? And she responds with, okay. Now, I didn't believe it. I, I think she would have said no. I didn't think like, I didn't think that was, I just, for some reason, I'm like, this is not that assertive or good. I'm like, okay, like, that's not a whatever. I just didn't buy any of it, but okay. All right. And then Nate whistles for his parents and asks Jade uh, for her number. And she says, no, sorry, she's picky. And Nate says he is too. So the only thing I'll say about you not buying that that particular framing would work is that I, a few weeks ago, tweeted something to the effect of the best way to ask for a refund when a place doesn't give refunds is to contact them and say, I know you don't give refunds, but I can't use this ticket or whatever else. Could I donate it to someone else? And then they're like, oh, honey, we can give you your money back. Don't sw- It's fine. Don't sweat it. You're good. Brilliant. Because Brilliant. you are presenting it in a way that if you give me what you want, you will get something. If you give me what I want, you will get something easy out of it. It's going to be better for all of us. Like you, you present it in this way that makes it easy for them to do what you want them to do. And so saying, we're going to order a lot. We're going to get out of your hair. We're going to be like, you will have somebody at the front table eating your delicious food. And then we're done. And you won't need to bother with me anymore. Cause I'm not going to come back and ask you for the fucking front table anymore. Like it does make it easier for her to go along with what he's saying. Yeah. Uh, uh, all right. Also, all that manipulation and lying that I just mentioned I do a second ago is part of the reason why I say I'm not that great of a person. Like, I just told all of the dozens of people listening to this that I regularly call up (laughs) nonprofit organizations and say, hey, can you give me my money back? (laughs) But if they actually did what you said, you wouldn't be you wouldn't say, nah, nah, that's the wrong answer. (laughs) So, you know. Uh, can we comment really quickly um, about Nate like getting so strung out on the pat like his his newfound self loathing based power that he asks Jade out he can he confuses that moment I'm like no but see I'm not sure that he does confuse the moment I think he he is trying to get the I'm a man kit. That will make his father finally look at him and say, good job. And one of the parts of being the man is having at least one woman. So he's he's like, oh, shit, I got the table. Let me see. Maybe I'm, you know, maybe I figured it all out. Maybe spitting on that mirror was the magic pixie dust I was asking uh, Keely for. That's the way I experienced it. Like he would go for it. And if somebody was standing there with them trying to think of what else it would be, if somebody was standing there right now and said, you know, hey, that remember that car you said was too much for you in the first episode? Uh, you want to drive it now? I think he would be like, fuck, yeah, yeah, 
I want a fancy ass big boy car. I get it. I get it. I just don't. <sighs> yeah, I don't. I had a hard time buying any of this. It's, it feels like a pivot. When I was watching it, I felt like, oh, okay, we're this is what we're doing. We're gonna do this. Like that's what this show is. Yeah, that wasn't was my a- experience of it at all. Like I really oh. bought this. I really bought. I, and I like. I appreciate the Nate storyline. Um, I mean, I didn't. It doesn't make me happy, right? I want him to go the way Sam's gone. I want him to go the way Keeley's gone. I want him to go the way Roy's gone. But everybody ain't gonna you go know. in the same direction in life either. No, no, that's true. It's a good commentary from the show too, because it was such a feel good show, and I felt like it was so wholesome and and uh, just just positive. It's just loaded with positivity. That it's a it's a it's a smart commentary to say like, listen, like even the best laid plans go awry, and uh, not everybody's going to be on the boat at the end of the day. There, are some people are going to you're going to lose some people, um, even if you use the same methodology. So I really get that. It just I guess going back to the original conversation, the beginning of this season, like this is not what I hoped or signed up for, you know, sort of plot wise, but okay. All right. So we're going to devote this time to Nate. Um, We move on to Isaac's game. He's back. uh, You know, we see Isaac starting out. um, And actually coach, uh, before we leave the restaurant, because I do think this is important. Nate does have a bit of a smile there, but I think it's significant that dad still doesn't give him the love. I don't, I didn't feel like, I mean, I I felt like that look was like, man, all right, fine. Like it was almost like I won't insult this. It's still not like good job, Nate. What'd you say to her, Nate? How'd you get us up here, Nate? Like he knows he was just sitting in the corner next to the kitchen and now he's at the window table, but he's not going to give, he ain't going to give Nate uh, an an inch, a sliver of daylight. Right. Yeah. No, no, that's yeah. There's a, there's a emotional austerity thing going on there or a punitive kind of thing that's between him and his father. Like, even though he did pull this out in the end, it wasn't like his father was overjoyed. He was like, you know, that would have been nice if we just had this from the get-go instead of having to be humiliated first. Mm -hmm. And if they Uh, had gone there from the get-go, then it would be, uh, you didn't even get us a compliment. I think what Nate can't see is that those goalposts will move forever. Yeah. That's a, that's a real thing. I remember, I remember growing up, I would uh, clean the house and um, to surprise my mom, she would be out and we'd clean the house. And I was like, seven eight years old really young and um clean the whole house and come in and we're like beaming we're so proud of ourselves looking for you know praise from from mom and she would be like well you missed that over there and you didn't never a kind never the few times that happened uh never a kind word never never once where she's like great job it was always you missed that you missed that and then that indoctrinates you to like oh Mm-hmm. Like I'm not gonna, I'm done cleaning. I guess. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. why would I put myself through the cleaning? I'm not gonna get that anyway. Isaac is playing, and right away he gets bodied um, uh, on the field. Uh, he, the guy, calls Isaac a little bitch. <laughs> um, uh, they make a joke about hurting Isaac emotionally. 
Isaac is pissed. He goes over to Roy. What the fuck, Roy? Did you bring me here, bring me here to get my leg broke? And coach, what does Roy respond to him? No, I brought you here to remind you that football is a fucking game that you used to play as a fucking kid because it was fun even when you were getting your fucking legs broken or your fucking feelings hurt. So fuck your feelings. Fuck your overthinking. Fuck all that bullshit. Go back out there and have some fucking fun. Great speech. <laughs> Isn't that great? Yeah, I really love great it. Great speech. Uh so, yeah, that's really great. Uh, Ted is blown away. Um, you know, Roy asked Ted if that was all right, which I was like, oh, that's some like emotional vulner- vulnerability right there. Mm-hmm. Ted said, right, right. And that's like the inside matching the outside. Yep. Ted says it was great. Roy asked if it was too many fucks. I don't know. Kind of like all the nipples in that movie showgirls. Halfway through, you don't even notice it anymore. You get sucked into the narrative. Like, ugh. And Roy says, what in response to that, boss? I dated Gina Gershon once. I loved that exchange. I'm very curious what your reactions were. I, that made me also, I, I think Gina Gershon should be like a way we actually measure heat. So I just thought that was like, <laughs> sure. Really? Really? <gasps> really? Oh, wow. yeah. If you haven't seen Bound. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, uh, right, no, man, I, when I, a, I. When AFI put out their list, I wrote a strongly worded letter. Yeah, no, <laughs> I'm. I am, um, much to my own dismay, painfully straight. But Gina Gershon is one of the women that I'm like. Well, okay, I, I get it. Gina, <laughs> exactly. Gina Gershon, Lizzie Kaplan, a few others. I'm like, I, I understand. Um, I would also like to throw in, I don't believe for a second that Ted Lasso stopped noticing the nipples in Showgirls. I'm pretty sure he noticed nice. every single one. Interesting. And I like that comment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, yeah. not, okay. not yeah. in a, a, a levacious way, but in a, oh, there they mm-hmm. are again. I wish ah, I, I, wish I okay, had okay. some tape. Ooh, okay. Gotcha. Got so he 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 made himself look past them. It's not that he actually stopped noticing. Absolutely, yes. Nice. God, we could talk we could do a whole episode on this. On on the whole thing and experience and strip clubs and things like emotions I feel when I've been in them and oh god, it's so so it's just yeah. I I am a person who's never had a lap dance. Um, and when they're bought for me, I always just go like, oh, you don't want to do this. And I don't want to do this. Like, why don't you just come over here and I'll buy a beer or something. And then we sit and chat for the 20 minutes they're supposed to be dancing. I just can't. And then I tip them. I just can't. I can't. It's whatever. But so maybe I have a little bit of the Ted Lasso, uh, whatever. Maybe there's some weird thing going on there. Um, anyway. Um, okay. Isaac, we get a montage, which is great, where Isaac has totally changed his game. He's having a blast. Uh, uh, Macadoodle do. It's just really, really fun to watch Isaac uh, get through that. And um, you know, it was, it was a. Ch- I'm not going to dwell on it because it's mostly just action, but it's really, really good. We cut to Roy and Ted walking down the alley without Isaac. Um, Ted says, "Nice work tonight, Coach." And Roy's like, "You think I'm really in a fall for this shit? Fall for what? You're trying to get me to come back to the club and coach. It won't work." Uh, and you know, I've really, I have zero, nil, uh, he says about to have zero interest, but he says I have nil interest in making you do something 
that ain't in your heart. I, I really hate that callback, but okay. Uh, it's fine. It's so Flandersy, my God. So you're not really playing games? Maybe a little. I'm sorry, Roy, but I came here tonight because when you realize you want to spend the rest of your life coaching with somebody, you want the rest of your life to begin ASAP, which is like a homage to when Harry met Sally. Please stop, Roy says. You complete our team, which is a reference to Jerry Maguire saying you complete me. And Roy says, you're an asshole. And Ted says, I'm just a coach standing in front of, I'm also just a coach standing in front of a boy asking him if, and Roy cuts him off. Listen, I'm never coming back. That's a Notting Hill reference. Um, Roy says, listen, I'm never coming back to Richmond. Not now, not ever. No, fuck off. And he walks away and tell Ted yells as you wish from the princess bride, which is the best movie on this list. And um, Roy gives him the finger. And the scene ends with the two of them walking in different directions. Um, any any insight here, folks? I don't think that's Yeah. I know that I was on mute, but I'm wondering if anybody picked up any of the deep sighing that I was doing while you were reciting all of those lines. Because it was so loud. <laughs> I could feel it. I could feel I it. I have to imagine. You could tell how much I hated this, even though I was muted. Like, I hated it. I thought it was pointless yeah, and yeah. dumb, and I didn't care for it. it I, it's it's whimsy, and and it's okay. And it's I like when filmmakers and 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 people who who make TV are are uh, what's the, what's the TV term for filmmaker? Uh, Showrunner. I don't know. Show yeah, showrunner's a position. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, the point is that um, I like when they're when they take chances. And so for that, I give them credit. I like creative people. I like when people go out on a limb and try something new and yeah, it may not work perfectly, but I, I definitely respect the attempt and the follow through and the fact that they're, they're really lumping in a lot of different um, homages and to, to different uh, parts of the genre, which I think is wonderful. Um, it just served, unfortunately to take me out of it a little bit here uh, and didn't feel as, as necessary. I'm going to shock exactly no one and say that I, I actually did like this exchange. And and part of why I liked it, there are well, two main reasons. One is, to me, this is folding up the captain band as they go back and forth and tossing it on his head. It is the crossing himself when he's leaving the shop. It, it, to me, it's this is a this is a way. This is a way Ted communicates with and cajoles Roy to go the lasso direction with things. And he can't can't maybe can't maybe the wrong answer, but I think it's, you know, that he 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 doesn't say, "Roy, I want you to go talk to Jamie about that, right?" He 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 tells his story about the Snickers bar or whatever. I think he sees with Roy that that's the effective way to go. So I bu- I bought that, and I thought it was significant that Roy, with his yoga ladies and all this, got every single reference and got what he was talking about. If if you play this scene out with Isaac, Ted wouldn't say this shit because Isaac, I don't think would know what the fuck he was talking about. Oh, definitely not. Isaac would not know. And I, I actually did appreciate sort of the volley of the scene between the two. I do like when they go back and forth. It's just mm-hmm, felt mm-hmm. like the the 
captain wristband or armband, I should say, scene, they were talking about something else. Like they were talking about something additionally. The candy bar scene was him sharing something that was funny and also a little insight into Ted. And this one felt like, hey, do you remember all these movies? Which, like, if you love those movies, maybe that does something for you. But I don't care about any of these movies. Maybe The Princess Bride a little bit. But it doesn't, I have no deeper emotional connection to any of the lines that he said. Therefore, it was him saying lines at Roy. And Roy being like, yeah, no, I know what you're doing. I don't, I've... I too have seen Notting Hill. Like this is the equivalent of hanging out with a group of people who all watch and love Archer, the TV show, and they just quote things at each other. And I'm part of that group. So I know how annoying we are to everybody else. Like if you don't care about it, then it, it, there isn't anything deeper there to latch onto. And so it just felt like kind of, all right, well, now we're doing this. I may be doing too much of the work here, but I'm going to share this. What if, what if, because what hit me was um, the note coming up that uh, Love by Nat King Cole or L-O-V-E by Nat King Cole is a possible nod to the parent trap, which I think it is. And the the parent trap is actually referenced in um, the gala episode. I want to say it's episode four, season one, but I I would have to double check. Um, but the parent trap is specifically mentioned because Ted tells, um, Jamie and Roy that he parent trapped them and nobody's going anywhere. Oh, yes. But the reason that that then sent me to the, that's not the old shit. The old shit is what if part of this show, and I'll say this later if you think it has some merit. But what if part of this show isn't just that it's the belief in Rom communism, which I absolutely think was a declaration from the show smack dab in the middle. But what if also what we're learning is it's like a meta rom-com. It's a rom-com that's going to show you the Keeley-Rebecca relationship. And that's going to have its story in the Rebecca um Ted and then the Ted Roy and the Roy Keeley and the Rebecca Sam. Like, what if part of the overall structure of this is because I was thinking about the characters that you really could latch on to any number of characters if you if you were of the mind to choose one. But what if that's also true about the relationships? Like there's a specific Keeley Jamie relationship that has its own mm-hmm. romantic comedy ups and downs to it too. No, I think that that's a, 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 I think that that is an excellent point in terms of what they are going for, because it is one of those shows that's sort of like Parks and Rec in that you could team up any of the cast members and all mm-hmm. of a sudden there's a new thing that you yep. want to watch. Um, yep. It's the same for me with Always Sunny. Like anytime that they pair up any of those guys, I'm like, ah, some shit's happening. Um, mm-hmm. So I definitely, yes, I do agree with that. I think don't know how effectively they've done all of them so far. If that mm-hmm. makes sense. Uh, like it does. I'm, I'm guessing you didn't watch Jane, the Virgin. I watched some over Daphne's shoulder, which is a the, significant portion of my taking in. Show. Sure. Absolutely. Um, I surprisingly loved that show. I did not expect to. And then I ended up thinking it was phenomenal. And one of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Like, 
<laughs> I I can't do soap operas, so I definitely can't mm-hmm. do telenovelas. Like that's too much right. for me. Um, right. But I think by the end of that show, like telenovelas end with people falling in love and they get married and then that's their happy ending. But mm-hmm. Jane the Virgin more ended with not falling in love, but that having love in your life is how you reach a point where you feel contented. So it was Jane having these relationships and other people around her having relationships where they all loved each other and how that sort of culminated in the happy ending for the show. So I, I am hoping that that is the path that, Ted Lasso follows like I. Mm. it's part of the reason why I absolutely do not want to see Ted and Rebecca end up together because that is not the point. The point is not you fall in love and then everything is great. The point is like mm-hmm. learning how to be in love, to love other people, to let other people love you is mm-hmm. more important than having a single relationship. Like that, that's what you need more than anything else. I, I think my if i were to if i were to place a bet easy for me to say <laughs> i i i would jeez first day with the new tongue apparently okay so but i but i would um say yes to everything you said and i think this is in my for me this is so meticulously done whether we agree with all the choices or not that i could see a version where we get the message you just delivered with the romantic comedy uh, culmination, whether it's Ted and Rebecca or another, where we get that and buy it in that context that yes, we were given like the surprising inevitability thing. It's like, we're not given the, and they fell in love and that means everything's fine, but we are given the, and they've grown in ways and their relationship has developed in ways that them deciding to go through at least the next portion of life together makes sense. So I, I guess I would leave, I, I would bet on that before I would bet on purely what you said, but I think you're right that this, there's no way this ends with, and luckily they fell oh, in love. I, I, there's no way. I there's just, no way. It'll, and I don't actually want to talk that much shit about the show. Like I feel bad doing it a lot of the times when I'm doing it. Cause I know that, they are doing things really, really well. And that this is more my personal preferences than anything else. But I do genuinely feel like if Ted and Rebecca end up together, I personally will never be able to buy it. Like I, I will never be able to get past that because it's not the thing that I want and it's not what I'm interested in. And I hope that they do it well. However, they figure it out. It's just, Mm -hmm. Oh God. It may, like I my eyes. I, I think that would be. I don't buy. I wouldn't buy it at all. I. I just. I don't know how we to. We shall see. We shall. But I'm saying. I think it's not. In a way, it's not your job to buy it so much as it is their job to sell it. Right. If what we're saying is we could see that ending a mile away, then it is their absolute, if they're going to go with it, it is their absolute job to deliver it in a way that makes us go, okay, in fairness, I did not see that coming. Whatever the that yeah, part of it that, is. No, that's true. And that, that might be one of the problems I'm having with this season is that in many places, I don't buy it in the way that I wholeheartedly used to, which is a trust issue. Yeah. So anyway, 
Um, we cut to Beard waiting for Ted outside their apartments. Ted apologizes for being a little late. Beard asks him if he set the alarm for PM instead of AM. And Ted says, yes, sir, Steve Kerr, which is just a rhyme and not like doesn't have the second meaning again. Um, <laughs> coach, I'm just saying. I, I think he's just going to make I, a I, list I, of those. I just think that's how the man so many. talks, but yeah, it's fine. Go ahead. No, he didn't do it in season one. It wasn't just a rhyme. It, like, it, it would be a rhyme, but have like, like we would have to have a Steve Kerr thing where like he missed something about, oh, if you know Steve Kerr, you know, like he always sleeps in, like, and it would have to be universal in order for everybody to get it. That's why transubstantiation is like sort of highbrow funny. In, in, but like how, what percentage of the audience gets that joke? And I mean, this, you don't necessarily have to play down to your audience, but you just go, oh, all right. OK. Anyway, but is it, says he's still sorry. Yeah. This, before me, again, I'll say one of the things I actually like about this show is that I think they give you levels and types of funny. And so you don't have to get everything. Like, I'll tell you, like, a lot of the, um, like, the, the sort of the specific rock band references of, like, well, this is the greatest guitarist. Or who Jimmy is the Buffett lead? and stuff. Like, yeah. yeah, Jimmy Buffett, like, I'm aware of, but, like, I'm aware of. If you made me name three Jimmy Buffett songs, I'd probably be fucked. You know? Yeah. That's sort of a white, white boy of a certain era reference. But, but yeah, no, I get it. Um, Ted says to Beard, I think a fella should only take as long as the tune Easy Lover by Phil Collins and Philip Bailey to get dressed in the morning. And I'm like, that is the wrong fucking line. Because Beard knows, that, like, Beard would be like, yeah, no fucking shit, dude. I've known you for, like, I'm your best friend. Like, he, if it was if it was him uh, saying it to somebody else. That's interesting. Uh, like, so, that. sometimes I'm like, you know that. what I mean? I'm just like, that's not, yeah, Beard knows. Anyway, and also, Beard beautiful. thinks that relationships shouldn't last longer than it takes to cook a steak. The man understands about mm-hmm. moving quickly. Yeah, <laughs> that's, good. that's a good point. It's a good point. Uh, it's a beautiful Saturday, and they're playing Sheffield Wednesday, a.k.a. the Owls. Well, what does British Owl say? Whom, whom. Uh, Beard doesn't crack a smile and says it was worth the wait. Now we do this thing. I'm going to gloss over this because... Uh, uh, this is this is uh, L-O-V-E by Nack and Cole is playing and we watch the Richmond fans pour into the dog track uh, which might be a nod to the parent trap but we show different couples in love and then we have a uh, like talking heads portion with an older couple who they break the fourth wall and they're telling the story of how they met and the significance, significance of AFC Richmond and I'm like I what the f- <laughs> what am I I felt like I was taking crazy pills I'm like what has happened like what is this and again I'm all for the creative create you know creativity inside of a script and you know but I'm like wait Nate's spitting on things I'm not really understanding why there's so many ties uh, you know I don't see Ted coaching in the same way I'm like what what is what is going on now I'm getting talking heads for strangers like for people who have not been established and I'm like, wow, this is so weird. I, I would like to gloss over it as much as possible also to the point where I zoned out for just a second while you were talking and only jumped back in when you said talking heads and was really excited that for a second we were going to talk about burning down the house. But no, we're talking about this couple that came out of nowhere we've never seen before. <laughs> right. We'll right. never see again. That's fine. Um, one of the problems I have with rom-coms in general is highlighted in this scene in that we should care 
there's my doorbell. Sorry, Amazon, I'm going to have to get you in a second, uh, that we should care about people being in long-term committed relationships. And I do not. I don't care. I don't think it says anything about you other than the fact that you found somebody that you're compatible with. Like, it doesn't make you a better person. It doesn't make you more interesting or more moral or it, like you just have a partner. Mm-hmm. George W. Bush and Dick Cheney have collectively been married for 103 years and they are war criminals. So I don't care (laughs) how this couple met or if they still love each other. It is unimportant to me. Okay. I get that. And, and I actually appreciate that. That was, and, and well, well expressed. I, I will say that in the, if, if we are accepting that we are doing this whole rom communism thing, um, that the, point of that of that film in part is their story is one of many stories and they're all individual like they're all specific to that couple on some level and like the main character then on some level is the, the the love the magic of it how these things happen and they don't happen to according to our plan and all that kind of stuff so for me it was that Having it there, in addition to having some fun with it, also adding in the litigation and all that kind of stuff, you know, playing with it. I think it is. It happens in all sorts of magical ways. And and, and we're watching one. Yeah. Now, we accept that this is the rom-com, you know, homage, but I'm not sure we'd like it. Like, OK, yeah, I get it. you're doing you, you sure do it. It. You're, you've done it again. <laughs> but anyway, um, you know, and it may point to yeah. that exactly because earlier, you know, boss, when you said that you didn't really, you know, you didn't care about those films, three of the four, I would exclude Notting Hill from this, but I, I, I like Notting Hill. I, I had fun watching Notting Hill. Uh, I just wouldn't put it in this group, but three of the four are films I loved, like on watching them, like really enjoyed them. I'm pretty sure I watched all of them more than once. Um, so I think I am a little more, I've got, maybe I've just got a little bit more, uh, my my palate is a little more, uh, accepting of, uh, some of that saccharine, some of that saccharine sweetness that, that that turns you off. Oh, absolutely. That's because everyone has a a higher tolerance for it than I do. Um, and I know our, our fearless leader has told (laughs) us that we need to move on very quickly. I just want to say, I think the difference is, um, the, the You Complete Me line from Jerry Maguire, I hate with every fiber of my being. It makes me crazy. The line that makes mm. me feel that way is actually from Better Call Saul when Jimmy, before he's Saul, that's a whole thing, um, tells Kim that he's going to help get her out of some jam that he got her into. And she says, you don't save me. I save me. Like, that is the line that makes me feel that way. Because I'm like, fuck yes, Kim Wexler. You are amazing. Get your shit done. So I like. And I do understand when people feel these things. It's just that I get them from an entirely different source. Right. No. No. I get. I get you. And at this point, Coach Castleton is probably just sitting back in his chair and with his arms folded, going, "I think I said something." But at any rate, I'm going to say this, which is, <laughs> <laughs> which is that. I'm with you on that line. Even though I enjoyed the film and I sort of accepted it as like, all right, this is what we're doing here. I'm with you on that line. It's because of, of a basic, uh, my basic understanding of and belief about the best relationships, which is not you complete me, but 
uh, but together we are more than we are apart, which to me is different. It doesn't make me incomplete or broken or lacking or needing you on that level. It says there's something that we've discovered is even better, which is how we are together. And I think that message is similar to what you described earlier. And I would definitely bet my money that that will be part of where we are in terms of the storytelling by the time we get to the end of the season three. I, I understand boss that you would say that you hate that line. I don't think that you do. I just think it's misapplied for you because I've seen your Instagram feed and I believe you've said that to several main courses on your Instagram feed over the oh, years. Oh, definitely. Yes. But those completely me that in a, fantastic. In, in a very physical sense that <laughs> the, <laughs> the walnut pesto that I got at Lula uh, Cafe last year for my birthday, I still think about you. I will come back to you eventually. Yeah. I promise. There mm-hmm. you go. There you go. Um, so uh, after this, what I think is uh, very distracting, I think I think you can draw the line in the sand here between the people that complained about season two in any way and the people that enjoyed it. If this bothered you at all, it was a it was a real bump in the road for you with Ted Lasso season two. And if it didn't bother you, then you kind of got through it nice and easy. You probably got through the holiday episode fine. So uh, it's just really a perspective kind of thing. And I also, with you, Coach, I loved those movies. I thought they were great. Uh, a little known fact, and I'm not going to name name drop, but Coach and I are, are really close friends with um, mm-hmm. a, a writer who wrote two of the biggest rom-coms <laughs> in, in our lifetime. In, in, like, yeah, yeah. Absolutely galactically successful rom-coms and so it's it's a little bit more in our world than it than it normally would be um and um yeah so we're 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 fans of the genre and but in but it's funny how didn't bother you coach and really really bothered me so anyway um rebecca's on banter talking at the game with a mystery suitor convo reads happy uh saturday what are you up to she says at a football match he says oh football fan who's your team and she says that's too personal okay (sighs) Keely takes notice. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just, I I feel like it's so reductive for for Rebecca. I I just cannot. I think there's so much more to it than you're giving it credit for, but yeah. I know you do. She's getting in touch with the whole. You're fantasizing about being on the other side of that banter, coach. Hey, now. (laughs) <laughs> no, but but I don't uh, know if it's Rebecca or Gina Gershon. I'm talking the same. But. Um, but yeah, I think if I I think what we're seeing is she can be sitting in the owner's box and doing you know being the you know head of this organization and be figuring out this other side of herself, like to be figuring out she yeah. didn't do she didn't do this. Like this isn't you think she and Rupert were were about Listen, witty repartee? Like she didn't No, she, no, no, but remember that I'm coming from did not do this. Remember that I am coming from the from team Geez, I'd like to see Rebecca run this team. You know, so like we established something where they lost their sponsor and I'm like, "Hey, this is the like before the holiday episode, I'm like, "Hey, this is where they're going to come back and show her kicking ass." And and we didn't. 
we see her like fucking around and doing all kinds of things that's not running the team. We establish with the Nora ep- episode, like Nora looks up to her like as somebody running the team, and like we're not getting to see that side of her. But, but we life. get to see her just, no, no, literally we're her waste time with Nate. No, no, like, no, 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 no. You run a team. Wait, wait. In you the don't very have this time to waste. In the very situation you described, she does the communicating with the guy. She tells him how it's gonna go. She has to stand up to him. She makes the initial call to him. She follows up. She then decides when she... I mean, that's where the whole boss-ass bitch thing comes from. So I hear you that you might have wanted like a different version of it or more, but it's definitely there. Listen, well, that's, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. That's the... That is like the absolute... Uh, that's like a, the fringe around what I was hoping for, you know, like, like we just dropped the whole Cerithium oil plot line. Like that's just gone. They're no longer protesting somehow. And I'm just like, wait, what is, what is anyway, whatever. I just wanted more from Rebecca. And I, and I feel like they reduced her to this, like, uh, you know, this giggling schoolgirl for a, a, a large percentage of the season. And I'm like, no, she's a lot more than that. Man. I, I, I will only say I, don't want to say that she is reduced to a giggling schoolgirl, um, only because I like to think of myself also as sort of a badass bitch, and I have done giggling on texts. Like I get where she's coming from. You can do that and be good at your job. You can do both. Yes. Is really the thing. Like show both of them. She can do it. So can we. Yes. Right. I'm fine with it if it's that. If it's if it's both. And so yeah, maybe reductive is the wrong term. But, it, but listen, my favorite thing that coach will tell you this. My favorite thing, but actually both of you. My favorite thing in the whole world is to laugh. That is my favorite thing. I like it better than any food you put in front of me. I like it better than sex. Like anything, anything in the world, I would go up against. Like it's it's right up there. Like I like I guess the love of my children. I guess would be. But like when I laugh so hard that I can't breathe. If you can get me to that point, that was a great day in my life. And so her laughing about text and stuff, I'm that, that is, that's wonderful. I have no problem with that, but I want to see more. And I didn't feel like I understand coach's perspective. We saw certain things, but it just scratched the surface of what I was hoping to see. And again, a different hope coming into it. Uh, Keely says to him, tell him you're, you own Richmond and you're fucking fit. Um, and then we, then we cut away, uh, cut from Rebecca to a very, very, um, a heavy-handed cut where Ted is texting and walking down the hallway. Oh my god! Is, is Ted the mystery suitor? Is that what we right. mean to see? Well, certainly, you know, as we're asking ourselves the question, we are definitely given maybe this is the answer. I refuse to acknowledge that. Anyway, Doctor Sharon uh, Fieldstone comes out of her room to talk to Ted. She explains, Coach. And he that prompts Ted to he starts just yelling other nouns: doctor, floor, ceiling, trash can, which I actually really liked. I enjoyed that. Um, he tells her to go. She was just checking on him to see how he's feeling. I don't know. I'm just dealing with the terror of knowing what this world is about. You know, watching uh, a few good friends screaming, "Let let them out!" So you're feeling under pressure. That's a line from obviously David Bowie. Um, and so you're feeling pressure, and he's blah 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 blah. So the little. What did he say? Um, can you sing that for me, please, Coach? Uh, I don't think it'd be great. I kind of... I don't remember. <laughs> I remember how he sang it. And I, I'm trying to think of the song right now. It's not really coming. There's that little rip, right? Yeah, I yeah, notice yeah. it every time I hear that song. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, anyway, yeah, well, go ahead. I did want to 
jump in in terms of some some of how Ted uses this stuff, and he's actually, I think, sometimes saying. I think you're right that there's sometimes, yes, sir, Steve Kerr. I don't know that there was much more to that, but I do think there's more in general. And he is under pressure. And I think the fact, I mean, I think in as much as he's able to, the, 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 she gets him enough now. She doesn't need a translator in the hallway to explain why he just said these random series of words. And he trusts her enough now that he is actually telling her what's going on. He ain't going to stop and talk to her about it and unpack it. But he didn't have to tell her he was feeling under pressure. He had another joke going. Mm. Okay. I I mean, I thought it was like wedging Dr. Fieldstone in the episode. And I'm like, oh, it just highlights how how she's not central to this. Anyway, go ahead. What were you going to say, boss? Uh, Just that if we didn't uh, state for the record that Freddie Mercury was also singer on Under Pressure, I was going to lose my mind. I was going to go full beard on you guys if we didn't acknowledge that. So that that's literally everything I have to add to this part. Thanks, boss. Um, she uh, she assures Ted that her door is always open. He says, then why even have one? Uh, which I thought was funny. Uh, usually that would, that would bother me, but I liked that. Loved the delivery. Heck, Coach Beard could take that thing out for you. Jack Torrance style. They good wax. That's a shining reference, Stephen King reference. Um, and Beard walks by and corrects him saying, what does he say uh, about five good wax, boss? Oh, well, he says he'd be able to do it in five good wax because he was the lumberjack qualifying. I, I, I'm, I'm missing the exact line, but I would. Lumberjack world qualifying, world championship qualifier. World baby. championship qualifier, baby. Yes. God, I really need to commit this baby. to memory more because this is the, um, the, the, the confident nerd entirely in my wheelhouse. Thank you for mm-hmm. giving me that, mm-hmm. throwing me that bone, the show. Uh, Ted says a beard has had many lives, many masters, which I love. Please give me more beard. We don't get enough beard. Uh, Nate walks by in the suit Ted bought for him. And, and uh, you know, he, he's Nate asks, asks if it's uh, too much in a confident way. And he's like, what too much class? No such thing. Nate walks off and Ted says, if you're out to describe the truth, leave elegance to the tailor, which is a Albert Einstein quote. I looked it up. I actually knew that one. Um, I just wanted to double check, and it was Albert Einstein. Um, so uh, Ted walks out the pitch. We moved to soccer Saturday. We are on the show with Roy, Jeff, um, and George. And um, so we say uh, we hear we hear about uh, Jeff. Jeff intros the Premier League's day you know it's like a standard saturday sports roundup channel um they start talking about an up-and-coming player who's only 17 they call him the irish ronaldo and george says he's expecting a commanding performance from the lad and they asked jeff uh, jeff asked roy how he thinks he'll do and roy says i don't know he's 17 he'll probably have chips for dinner and a wank before bed and then jeff apologizes once again for the language and tells roy he wanted his insight, and Roy says, "What, Coach?" 
I told you, I don't know. All we do is sit around here and guess what a bunch of little pricks are going to do and do go and do out there. Then we come back at halftime and we complain because they didn't do exactly what we thought they do. We don't know. Of course we don't know. We're not in the locker rooms with them. We're not in the pitch with them. We can't look them in the eyes and encourage them to be better than they ever thought they were capable of being. We're just, we're just on the outside looking in, judging them. Yeah, this is so great. Can, I mean, Brett I, Goldstein. I mean, Jesus Christ, man. He so, keeps like so many lines in this episode where he just murders. He's so good. Here we see Roy getting he was almost there. He got it, but he didn't consciously have it yet. All the way to where Ted has taught us he is and how why he's a coach when we're sitting in an Indian restaurant with Trent Krim. I mean, it's it's essentially the same thing. And it's about the players and getting the best out of them and, and, and that piece of it. It's not X's and O's and who's the smartest and who's going to score all the goals. And I think Ted knew this was true about him, which is, and he on some level knew it was true, which is why he wanted Ted to leave him alone because it would require him taking a chance and being vulnerable. But he expresses here, I am a coach. And and without going too far down this road, I have a stage show that I do, a solo show. And there's a, a moment where I say, I'm a coach. That's what I do. And I think for people who that really means something to them, that means a lot. And I think this is the right. moment where he like fully embraces that. Yeah, no, it's it's powerful. Um, Boss, go ahead. It's very powerful. I agree with everything you just said. I wish that it had happened in episode eight. Like, this should have been Roy's entire season-long arc, that he was no longer a football player and he was trying to find his way. But in episode two, Keeley convinces him to do this job. Episode three, he likes it. Episode four was a throw off. So it doesn't matter. And by episode five, he's like, Oh wait, no, fuck this. Actually, I need to be doing something else. Amen. So I I just, I would have liked to have seen him struggle with this more than we got. I get that. When you know, you want to do something for the rest of your life, boss, you want the rest of your life. Oh, I'm sorry. I have to quit now. I'm, I'm not on this podcast anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very sorry. I must leave you forever. Um, okay, so they watch as the boys are warming up, and Isaac is a totally different Isaac, and Chris Kamara is like, what's gotten into him? Must have a great coach. Um, Isaac is doing all the custom handshakes, which sort of is a is a sort of a, a, a little homage to Lindsay Lohan um, having a unique shake with her butler in the parent trap. Maybe if it might be a, a reference to that. I don't know. Um uh, Roy is uh, just in a trance watching these guys warm up and Jeff makes a comment about how it's cold and Roy must not miss that part of playing. And Roy says, what boss? I miss all of it. Yeah. And you can see that he's like emotional mm-hmm. and that's it. He, he, you know, there's this, there's mm-hmm. this beat. He just go, it's, it, it, you see it. He just, it just happens like what coach says. And on the spot, Roy stands up and, he quits. This isn't what he's meant to do. She's a rainbow starts playing. Jeff tries to stop him one more time, but Roy says he has to go. 
a reference to Sleepless in Seattle. Meg Ryan uh, uses the line to leave her fiance. And Roy begins to, there's a, that's a great beat between Roy and Jeff. Like Jeff's like, he gets it. It's just really, really nice, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like if you love rom-coms, you love these beats. Like you live for this shit. And I was fully fine with it. Like, I, like as much as I've complained about like, oh, the direction or whatever, this, because it's Roy and because I'm so invested in that plot line, I'm just like, let's fucking do this. And so it was so, I mean, it was like absolute color by number rom-com uh, plotting, but I was there for it and I still am. And I loved it. Um, so he runs around the corner, hails a taxi, uh, driver recognizes him as Roy Kent. He tries to deny it and then tells the driver to take him to Nelson Road. What do you got, coach? I was just going to say, this is very, I mean, many uh, a rom-com has this moment, right? The rushing to them. I mean, it's a, it's a sort of oh, classic yeah. moment. But specifically when Harry met Sally, which uh, for the New Yorkers who are listening, has Billy Crystal become a marathoner? Uh in, 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 in his run because right. there's, there's goddamn no way. But um but the point of it is right and it feels right that like that that drive, like I gotta get to the other person now. Um and I saw it, I bought it here and I thought they'd earned it throughout the episode. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think whatever. At least in the in the Roy plot line, yeah. His his subplot, yes. Um and so anyway uh, driver says he can't take him there because he needs to buy his wife a present. Roy gives him a lot of cash, which is funny because it's like, well, the guy's like, oh, this is great. She loves cash. Um, but again, we establish Roy. He uses money for like to as an enabling thing to get him what he what he wants or what's important to him. It's not like he lives for the money. Um, they drive off and they, of course, come to a roadblock um, and he gets out of the car and he tells the driver <laughs> this. I don't know why, but this has been rattling it around in my head since I heard it. I'll tell you the thing Nikki Six said in the Motley Crew behind the music um, episode, whatever. You got to date your wife in the Motley Crew behind the music. You got to date your wife. I I love that for a few reasons, and I won't hold us up. But one of them is the source, and I think I think. Probably, and I would guess Coach Castleton, this plays into why you love the Roy stuff as much as you do, although I think many of us do. Roy is definitely trying to figure out how to be this new brand of man without like just chucking everything about himself to the side or pretending he likes things he doesn't like or that he does, you know, or the opposite. And I think he could have easily said, I'll tell you the thing Brene Brown said to Oprah on Super Soul Sunday, and that would have been its own brand of funny. Right. I think it's significant yes. that he didn't get it from there. He, he He's he's getting these lessons, but he's getting them from watching the Motley Crew behind the music. Coach, you don't you don't uh, watch um, Mythic Quest yet, right? We haven't come to you and nope. that. Not yet, not yet. There's this one character that quotes Brene Brown all the time, and he'll say to them, like, oh, like Brene Brown says, da, da, da. and they're like, who the fuck is Brene Brown? And he's like, oh, you don't know Brene Brown? Oh, yeah, of course. Obviously. Yeah, yeah obviously. Yes. Like, it's so, it's that's, such a, that's... I love the pull. I love the pull. Yeah, it's so good. It's so perfect in the, for that Also, uh, um, pretty good Hornsby impression there, Coach. Way to go on that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Appreciate it. Um, I love the Nikki Six reference. Okay, because 
there again, like I said, Jimmy, there's men of white men of, of a certain age. Holy shit, Motley Crue was. I was not a Motley Crue guy, and I actually felt like a little embarrassed that I wasn't because everybody in my peer group was a die. Like they would go to the concerts and they they had the Kiss unmasked shit, and I just like really didn't understand. It wasn't my jam. Um, but it was so funny to me because it feels, it, it, you know, any reference to your childhood or you know, someone that like, God, can somebody actually in 2022 be quoting fucking Nikki Six? I'm like, that is such a deep pull. Um, but I loved it and I thought it was great. Taxi driver, thanks, Roy. Uh, knee gives out with a crack, which is another great trope. Uh, not the knee specifically, but okay, yet another obstacle for him getting to the to the prize. Uh, he hops on one of the carriage bikes, a little whatever those little man-driven rickshaw bikes are. Uh, I'm not sure what they are called. Uh, says, "Hey, if you get me Nelson Road in the next ten minutes, you can have this watch." We got uh, the music still is 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 booming, and um, Roy gives the man his watch. Uh, brushes by someone looking for an autograph. Um, they try to stop Roy because at the door because he doesn't have a ticket at the gate. He explains he's Roy Kent. Um, he's now encountered uh, basically the only people at at uh, at, at a Richmond that don't exactly know that he's Roy Kent when he needs to. So he goes to the ticket and he picks up the ticket for Reba. That, well, as we know, Reba McIntyre. Um, call back to season two, episode one, where Ted says he leaves these tickets every week under a different um, country country music singer. And um, boss, what do you say? Just that. The fact that he knew that this week it was under Reba McIntyre yes. means that someone is telling him and he is remembering it. Either it's Keely yes. or it's Ted or the information is getting to him and he is squirreling it away, even if he doesn't show up. I picked up on that too, boss. I think you are dead on. How does he know that it's Reba unless on some level he's been wanting to go back there in a way that maybe he's not even that aware? Right. It's a great point, guys. He he kept mentally somehow he kept the door open. Um, little kid is staring up at Roy, and Roy does the growl at the Roy can growl at the little kid, and the kid is charmed by the kid just smiles like it's so funny. It's such a different, um, different thing. There was there was this there was this. Uh, it's like the kid was not frightened by that. The kid was charmed by it because it's like he on some subatomic level. He understands like that. Roy is not a threat. Roy, like that mm-hmm. growl is as good as Roy's smiling at. Mm-hmm. I read this thing uh, not long ago on where, where this person that used to work for uh, Donald Trump said that Trump hates dogs because everywhere he goes, dogs have always barked at him and like raged to try to like bite him, and because they've always known wow. who he is. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, that's right. And this is the this is the inverse of that. This is a kid. The growl means like it is almost comforting to the kid. Anyway, Coach, what were you going to say? I think it's interesting to watch Roy with kids because I think it's another place where we get to see like, okay, I'm going to be this new kind of man who does care about a kid. And one in particular cares about kids more generally will actually take a moment that could have been super embarrassing for me and this kid and just make a pact with the kid I just met five minutes ago, not to poop our pants anymore. Yell at, you know, this group of little girls and they're all giggling and they adore me. There's just... I feel like his interaction with kids, again, even the swearing and the paying for the swearing, it's like, how do I, how, how can I be Roy and a more, a, a version of Roy that does get along with kids and is, as, is providing this nurturing, but in my way. 
And then he gets told when he's coloring too far outside the lines, right? The teacher comes by and says, you know, you can't call a bunch of, you know, whatever it is, third graders, little pricks, right? But he's he's figuring that out. Yeah, I really love that that character that just talks to him like that. It's so great. Um, anyway, yeah. Um, okay, keep going. Um, so uh, he, he turns the tickets into the people at the gate, and and then they wish him a nice time. He says, fuck you. And they're like, it is you. Whatever, which is cute. Um, we see Higgins meeting his wife at the dog track. Uh, I, uh, anyway, um, <laughs> I was like, Bleh. anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, I'm not as invested in the Higginses as you are, coach, but um, she's dressed in blue, right as Mick Jagger sings that. Were you going to say something, coach? Well, just tossing in, I think in my, you know, we're getting to see people take that definitive step toward who they fully are. I think that is true of of Higgins there. I think that's I, I think as we're watching each embrace where where they're really be meant to be going or certainly where they have chosen to go, whether consciously or not, that's that's very clearly their choice. They choose each other and have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Roy is still fighting to make it to the game on time. He emerges from the locker room, cracks his knee back in place. And then we get this beautiful shot. Um, uh, we've been watching Roy uh, sort of coming at us uh, camera wise, um, objectively. And now we sort of join him from behind as we see him rise up in front of the dog track. The crowd notices him. Coach, what do you Quick say? Quick question: Do we have is that um, is that a Star Wars shot? And I meant to double check. I remember at the time immediately thinking that's a shot that, that with Darth Vader in that shot. Um, maybe I'm wrong, uh, but that 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 felt it felt like uh, it felt like a bit of a shout out to me. Wow, I uh, I didn't occur to me that way, but we should look it up. I I, I think I'm probably the resident Star Wars expert on staff here, and uh, I don't remember that specific shot. But I will let's let's do a little digging. Um. Okay, the crowd notices a thing goes over the crowd. I got chills. Uh, triumphant return uh, to the dog track. Oh my god, it's so exciting! Um, everybody starts. Keely says, "Holy shit!" Roy's just walking down the sidelines. Roy Kent. Uh, they start uh, cheering the famous Roy Kent cheer. Uh, he's here. He's there. He's every fucking where. Roy Kent. Roy Kent. Isaac smiles. Uh, he approaches Ted. Ted welcomes him to the squad. Roy tells him to just to shut up. Um, and uh, he says, what? What does he say, coach? You had me at coach. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> I be- ate it up beard, with a goddamn a spoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know, I know. It was so cheesy. spoon, I ate it up. Yeah. And I have to just toss in that the first time I was coaching – and uh so I, i'm going back to my old high school and so it's my first day but i'm like nervous beyond nervous i'm only four years out of there myself or straight back from college and i get handed the shorts and t-shirt that say poly prep football coach Ooh. oh wow i mean that was wow that 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 put graduation day to shame like wow. I, oh <laughs> really oh are you kidding me i still have that shirt I was had that shirt in the fall of 1994. I still have Holy that shirt. Shit, 
Holy shit. And the shorts, actually. Yeah, absolutely. When he said you had me a coach, I was like, oh, my God. It's pretty damn. Well, Ted says, hello, coach. Really glad you decided to. And that's when he tells him to shut up. I should have. I I buried the lead on that. But that's when he tells him to shut up. You just shut up. You had me a coach. Um, So obviously, Jerry Maguire reference again. Um, Last like the you complete me. And um, as he walks by Nate, we hear um, some violins playing. Uh, I don't know. It was like, it was weird. I'm not sure. Like everybody was so, so, okay. Roy does this thing where he greets everybody, greets Roy, greets Beard, greets Nate. And Beard is so excited. Ted is over the moon. And then uh, Nate looks so confused. And it wasn't like, I noticed like Roy took his, took his spot on the other side of Nate. Like basically he's like, I am the low man on the totem pole. He just, I don't know if if you guys read it the way I did, but it was like okay, like absolutely. He didn't go and he didn't say like I'm going to stand next absolutely. to next to Ted, so that I would be like sort of balancing mm-hmm. out the four. It's like no, he to me it looked like he accepted like it was like reminiscent of when he accepted his demotion with class and yes. character, and I was just like wow, I fucking love Roy so much. Um, and we zoom out on the four coaches, and uh, we fade out, and that is the end of the episode. I, I thought, it, you know, it's a little, you know, on the nose, so I, but I, I do want to call it out that in a moment where we have nearly perfect harmony, that they actually added the discordant music with Nate. And we've been talking about all the times and ways that Nate is out of step with the rest of the group. And I think... This 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 definitely was giving me some prodigal son vibes, and not to be all culturally exclusionary, you know, the the, the Christian story or parable around the, the prodigal son. The son goes off and does whatever. The other son stays and is the faithful one. And when the son returns, he gets you know a big. The, when the prodigal son returns, he gets this big feast, and the whole lesson is supposed to be, well, you've been here, you've been faithful, you know, I, I, I'm celebrating having my other son back, and I think. I and think the real a, lesson is that charisma wins all, over boring people all the time. Is that the- well, I mean, there's there's something to that, right? Like there's something to there's something to Salieri to Mozart, and there's something to like the bottom line. Love, love that is Nate. They're not. But that's just talent. That's Salieri and Mozart is like. That's just just you cannot replicate. Salieri wasn't like, yeah. He's so not a scrub. I love that reference. No, he's you see not. what I'm saying? He's not no, in he's any court, way a he's scrub. Court, court, yeah, uh, right. But uh, it's, it's like it's, right. some, you know, and it sounds shitty, and maybe it's not purely this, but I think part of it is coming from that being able to live from that wholly authentic version of yourself. And I think people tap into that and sort of feed off of it. But Nate's just not that dude. And even if he becomes feared or on some level beloved whatever it is the he 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 wants what he can't have and 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 this part i think he can never have whereas i think ted can accept that they'll never feel about him the way they feel about roy kent and rebecca can accept that they'll never feel about her the way they feel about rupert nate is so out of touch with who he is he he can't figure out what his real position is in all this 
And, you know, I think that's going to be, that is very much in his way. He's miserable. I mean, think about it. When he was a, 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 a shit kicking kit man, if they had said, Hey, would you want to be an assistant coach for this team and be somebody who can yell out a, a play and override the other coaches and everybody just shuts the fuck up and listens? I mean, he might have pissed down his own leg. And now here we are. And he's fucking, he's, he's miserable. He's fucking furious. Yeah. I think part of that, number one, you guys liked this running scene so much more than I did. I was like, all right, he's going to run. No, will be fine. Um, I think the point. We're, we're, we're men. We're yeah, no, I, this listen. Is, listen. I'm like, this is all you have to do. I, and then maybe a cheeseburger. And I don't want to degrade either of you because I know how much men love rom-coms. And I know that rom-coms are degraded in general. So I don't want to make men feel bad for that. Um, but I think, uh, a big part of this with Nate is he thought he was brought into the team because he is special. And that is partially true. He is special. He has an insight into the team and to football mechanics that Beard and Ted did not have. What he doesn't realize is that other people can be special without diminishing his specialness. Like That's it. there's always that. Th- I mean, and it happens with kids too, but if what you define yourself mm-hmm. on is they like me, therefore I'm special and good and important. Mm-hmm. It, it's always going to be a problem that needs to come from inside, which is the difference between Roy and Nate is where they find that. I'll share John Wooden quote specifically because John Wooden to me is so much just part of the spine of this show. The, 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 the essence of, of, of who he is and what he taught and oh, for sure. he says, be more concerned with your character than your reputation, because your reputation is what people think you are and your character is who you truly are. And I think or who people think you are. And and and, and I think if if there were a quote I could just like put in front of Nate, you know, almost like a, a mask and just have him just read it ad nauseum, it would be that. And he's so concerned with his reputation um that it he 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 may ultimately it, it may cost him character You're, he's standing next to three purely character guys and he's very concerned yeah. with reputation oh yeah no no he can't compete but i mean this is when you when you i love the salieri reference because you talk like what what do you say to salieri about um you should you should have every you deserve to have everything you want <laughs> you know and then mm-hmm. what does the what does that recognition even if it's like you know sort of in his subconscious what does that realization do to him how does it corrupt his moral fiber how does he uh twist the situation based on whatever little power he has in the world and and nate is uh is you know has that that same thing nate will never be roy kent nate could be the winningest coach in 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 the premier league and I just don't see him having the same sort of following that the, you know, beloved following that a Roy Kent has. I realize that, you know, we're short on material and this will definitely not get edited, but I'm going to toss in that there's a documentary of football life about Tom Coughlin that I just absolutely loved. And one of the things that he talks about is that when he first got to New York and he was short or gruff with the reporters, it was no worse. Maybe it wasn't even as bad as Bill Parcells. He goes, but I wasn't Parcells. And I think 
Yeah, he wasn't Parcells because he hadn't brought in two championships yet. But he also wasn't Parcells because he wasn't Parcells. That's how Bill Parcells deals with people. That's how he talks to people. I would imagine if you're his cousin, you're like, yeah, that sounds like Bill. And I think part again, I think part of why Roy can growl at a child and we go, ha 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 ha, isn't that hilarious? Isn't that cute? Isn't that charming? Is that it is so essentially him. Whereas if Nate did it, we would know there's something in the growl. He's doing something to that kid. Right? He like the kid would not smile. Yeah, yeah, maybe totally. even if no, maybe no. even if he tried to replicate what Roy did, the kid still wouldn't smile. Yeah. Well, you know, I love me some Bill Parcells. He's, and by that, I mean, I do not. I know. I, I know. have never. We've argued about Bill Parcells for so many. Not that you're an advocate for him, but you were a Giants fan. Oh, yeah. He's he's one a on my football coaches list. But, well, he's one and, and Coughlin's one a is what I meant to say. And I also know who he is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, do, do we want to finish a little mansplaining or? No, no, it's fine. We'll, we'll just. We'll well, actually, it's, right. It's Call back. Well, right. actually, I think what you're trying to say, mm-hmm. boss, mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> all right, everybody. We finished the episode. That means uh, uh, season two, episode six next week. And um, until then, we thank you for listening. And as always, we are Richmond Richmond till we die. die. See you next week. The TedCast is a joint venture between Pajiba and the Antagonist. Visit us at pajiba.com and antagonistblog.com.